welcome to The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast and record this show. Let me just stop that because that wasn't meant to happen. The Gadigal of the Eora Nation and pay our respects to Elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host Fiona Lamb and I'm joined by... Emma Phillips, talking to you tonight from Bidjigal country. Lisa uh, this Kiwi. is Coach Kiwi. Coach Kiwi down here in the Boomerang, Wairang, Wurundjeri, people's land on the Eastern Kulin Nation. And Nat Morgan on Gadigal land. Beautiful. All righty. And our special guest, Giants AFLW player, Catherine Smitty-Smith. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Uh, Australian ca- Australian Academy player, coach juniors and seniors, played VWFL, that's what it used to be called, folks, and VFLW and played AFLW in Victoria and New South Wales, first with the Ds and now with the Giants, coaching the current allies in the NAB AFL Women's Under-19s National Champions and Sydney Prem Team Mac Uni Warriors. Welcome, Smitty. And that's all we have time for, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's only half the CV, isn't pause it? Pause for laughter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's only, uh, that is only half your resume. And I had to just pick out the... the Juicy bits. <laughs> and, and no one would believe that she's only 21 years old. 22 now, Huge. Kiwi. 22. Oh, sorry, 22. Year. She's sorry. been slacking off. I'm getting Step there. back. <laughs> All right. So old. In this week's show, our last for AFLW Season 5, we take a deep dive into the state of play in women's football in Sydney. Where have we come from? How do we get to where we're going? And what are the roadblocks, delays and considerations? So for this week's show, uh, we've talked to AFLW New South Wales Cup Ambassador. So let me just say that again. Yeah, AFLW New South Wales Cup Ambassador Yvette Andrews. We did it state by state this uh, this year, which was exciting and different. Um, Giants AFLW coach Ellen McConnell and Southern Power coach... Catherine Hull. And in the fifth quarter, you'll hear from Jared Crouch, the Swans Academy coach. So let's get going and we're going to listen to Veto, otherwise known as Yvette Andrews. We've come a long way, baby. Uh, she was this, as I said before, she was this year's AFLW Cup ambassador for New South Wales and instrumental in starting the Sydney comp. And here she reminisces with Nat about the start of the league in 2000 and brings us up to the beginning of the 2021 season. In those early days, like say that very first year of the competition, what are some of your memories of, you know, the setup and how it all played out? Um, It certainly wasn't as professional as it is now. What were some of your recollections of how the games unfolded? Um, Well, we had to make our own goalposts. They were somewhat challenging to the goal umpires at certain times. What were they um, made out of? PVC pipes. Um, <laughs> and they were stuck in the ground. They worked. Uh, you know, that first grand final went into double extra time. And I was the league secretary at the time. And I remember having played a game and extra time of footy, having to have a meeting with the umpires and the AFL at, at that end of extra time to work out what the hell we were going to do to finish the game. So that was kind of quite strange being a, a kind of... <laughs> trying to make a, a, a footy decision and play a game of football at the same time. But I was very proper about it. And we actually just decided because of the strength of the wind that we would just have to keep playing, um, you know, extra time until it, it um, finished. So, yeah, you know, 
to five minutes um, of extra time. So there was sort of there was sort of moments like that along the way. Um, but you know, this year in the women's AFL in Sydney, there's five divisions wow. and there's clubs that have six teams. So there's you know, I, I um, went to a game because I'm now the vice president of um, the Inner West Magpies and I went to a practice match and um, at the beginning of the year against Newcastle. And, you know, this is how women do things differently. I think it's really nice. We had one slot. Instead of trying to do a, rever a reserves and a kind of first and reserves, we just put everyone on the field, which was lovely because the Div 2 players were playing with AFLW players and, <laughs> So there was a bench of 25, but there were more players I worked out on that field that day for that one game than we had in our entire season the first year. In so the whole competition in the of whole 2001. Competition. Exactly. In 2000, it was 2000. It was the year. 2000. Yeah. Uh, so it was 2000. Now, do you remember back that far? I know. Look, <laughs> I, I, luckily I had a diary so I can look at my recollections because the memory's not so good now. But um, look, I want to thank Yvette for a time and, I'm probably sure there's people out there thinking, what's a couple of old timers reminiscing about, you know, the past and the early days, what's that got to do with women's footy today? But I'll tell you what it's got to do with. It's got to do with that if a vet and her cohorts didn't start that comp 21 years ago, there's no Elise Parker. She's off playing basketball or netball or hockey or whatever because there wouldn't have been uh, AFL available to her as a young teenager. So... The women's comp has gone from like five teams 21 years ago and as a vet said to five or six divisions and there's comps in every regional town of New South Wales and so that's why history is important when talking about the state of the game uh, today. So, you know, have a listen to the full interview that's in, going to be in the extended pod and, um, yeah, you'll hear a couple of us old farts reminiscing and telling stories about the old days but that's where it all started and that's why it's important. Nat, I just can't, I, that was a great interview, by the way, and I'm, I was really happy to hear about the early days in Sydney footy because, of course, coming out of Victoria, coming out of Melbourne, I don't know all of that necessarily. But it, the thing about the PVC goalposts is kind of mind-blowing, aside from the fact that, you know, your early days, I guess you've got to just build it until they come, as they say. But as a Melburnian, of course, you just grow up with goalposts everywhere. You know, there are footy grounds and goalposts everywhere. And I raise this because not just a contrast between the two cities, but, you know, the issue in Sydney footy is still around grounds. And thankfully, we don't have PVC goalposts anymore, but there's still this issue about footy grounds. And I don't, I, you know, we don't have a lot of time to dwell on this right now, but I suppose it's just worth noting that even though we no longer have the PVC, we've still got this concern, you know, what do we do? Well, not only was it, uh, you know, the PVC pipings, but the line marking, I used to have to go to the council chambers and on a Friday afternoon and pick up the line marking machine and the cans of spray and put them in the back of the car, drive out to the ground on the Friday afternoon and mark out, you know, I was going to say the 50 metre line, it was probably the 30 metre line and the centre circle and squares and things like that because council wouldn't do it for us. Uh, the grounds we yeah, were on wow. weren't the standard that council needed to maintain. They were basically dog parks. And as Yvette mentions in the interview later on, that we'd have to, before the first game of the afternoon, um, walk across the field picking up dog poo or syringes if we were in a certain no. part of Sydney. So, uh, yeah, that's the standard that we were playing at, but we wanted to play regardless. So we didn't, we didn't mind and we didn't know any better. Kiwi? Yeah, um, it's interesting um, the way that Sydney comp started. Two things is um, how Veto talked about the draw and the con and the double extra time if you go back to the history of uh afl which was vf well i think it was actually 
VFA originally before it became VFL is the very first history was they could play a couple of days before they actually got a result. score because it would be um, even Stephen. So um, back in the very early days, Sydney Cotton was I think no you're different. talking Tom The other thing Tom that probably Sydney said, yes, yes, back in Tom Will's day. Um, but Sydney started off being 16 a side, which is now what we see in AFLW and across a lot of leagues around the country. Um, so Sydney started a trend. Oh, actually, Sydney started with nine aside. That first year was nine aside. <laughs> that's what she and said, we played wasn't it? Actually, two games on the one field, in fact, in that first season. So, uh, crazy days. Sorry, We've yes, you did. I meant, I meant the full – yes, when you went to the full-size field, it was 16 aside. Sorry, yep. yes. PVC pipes were nines. So, just, just finishing off the, the growth of the game um, – we didn't manage to get someone from Sydney AFL on the show this this season, but we will next season. But I spoke to um, Jack Lynch, who is from the uh, the media manager for New South Wales ACT AF, uh, AFL. I think I've said that the wrong way around, but I think you get what I mean. And he said that since 2010 in New South Wales, for every one team, uh, there are now 11 women's and girls' teams. So since 2010, we've we've. I mean, that's almost that word exponential that people use inappropriately. It's grown exponentially. Well, it hasn't. It's grown 11 times since 2010. Mm. It's pretty good. That's amazing. All right, let's move on. So Giants AFLW coach Alan McConnell tackles the question of AFLW expansion with a Sydney view, which we like, and what's missing at the AFL. Sydney level. So let's have a listen to Alan now. But and if look, if you look at expansion, um, you know, if you historically the, you know, the 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 existing team in the expansion market probably loses five or six players to the expansion team. Yeah. And um, so that would suggest we probably got, and then we you might lose a couple because you've decided they're not quite good enough. Yep. So we probably have to find 35 players in this marketplace when we eventually expand. Um, well, under the current r- rules, um, they won't be coming from interstate unless they're marquee-style players who are getting money outside of the soft cap. Yes. Sorry, outside of the salary cap. Um, and so, therefore, they have to come out of this marketplace. Yeah, um, yeah. And I can assure you, I've watched our national championships in the last in this last week, and I've, you know, um, seen five um, state league uh, premiers, Premier League um, women's games already this season. And we don't have thirty five players in this marketplace. We don't yeah. even have remotely thirty five players that yeah. are ready to play um, in this marketplace. And if you look at, we, we've actually certainly drafted more women out of. Sydney, uh, ACT, New South Wales in the last couple of years, but it's been on the back of investing in those girls for three years in our winter programs. Yes. Yeah, so I've got a few questions around that. Uh, What about, um, I think the Giants were looking at a VFLW licence and there were the exhibition games in the comp. uh, How long ago was it now? It must have been 2019. 19 is there the possibility of aligning with an independent Victorian club like Richmond has done with Port Melbourne? 
Um, there, look, there are possibilities in that place. The problem is that if you actually invite a girl to come to Sydney and then send, it, send her back to Melbourne for winter, you're actually saying, well, we actually can't cater for you here. Yes. Which in, then invites every other club in the country to say, well, let's target these girls and we'll, we'll, um, we'll look to convince them to come and back, back and play with us. So as a, as a long-term um, retention strategy, and, a, and the development of football in this marketplace, it's, it's, un, it's un, an untenable answer in the long term. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't need, we shouldn't go there in the short term, but it's fraught with danger in the long term. We just simply need to invest in what we've got in this, in this space. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, look, it's, it's a challenge. And look, some of that investment requires money, but yep. some of it requires time and expertise. Sure. And so, so do you see, um, I mean, yeah, time, expertise, investment, um, what needs to change in the Sydney comp? Uh, the, the, the level of coaching um, uh, and, and the capacity to develop players. Um, look, our talent pathway now is becoming more refined and the, the establishment of the two academies is a great initiative. You know, um, the Swans have been in that marketplace now for a long time and yes. um, the, the other problem we have with expansion is that the game has moved so much in the last two years. The gap between those on lists and those off lists has become 25% larger. But um, for the girls, once they've left um, the under 18 talent pathway, unless our club has engaged in their development, they're not getting any development. Yeah. So how, um, how we come up with 35 players to have two teams in this marketplace that are that are going to be uh, somewhat competitive um, is a bit of a mystery. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So that was uh, Alan McConnell, the head coach of AFLW team GWS Giants. M, can I invite you to unmute before you comment? <laughs> Thank you for that, Fee. Okay. Um, yeah, look, so much, I think, to unpack in what McConnell was saying. and I'd quite like to hear from Catherine on this one as well. Um, I am really struck by that comment that 35 players need to come out of this marketplace. And he says, not only do we not have those players, we don't even, leave, don't even remotely have those players. It is such an indictment of where New South Wales women's footy is at if they can't even remotely find 35 players to fill those teams. So, you know, it sounds like McConnell is musing on the same sorts of things that everyone associated with footy New South Wales is musing on. And it's like, how do we get the talent here? And I don't know that anyone is really coming up with the answers other than to say, you know, investment takes, he said, investment takes money and it takes talent as well, including coaching and, and you know, sort of developers. But again, what, what does that look like? To my mind, as money is coming out of the game and when the women's game is grossly under-resourced at the best of times, let alone during COVID or just post-COVID, how do they propose to catch up to the rest of the states if they're not going to seriously invest in the game? And I mean financially invest, because once you financially invest, you can get great coaches, you can get more players here. Maybe um, Catherine Smith, I'd love to hear what you think about what McConnell said, given that he's your coach. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think um, 
you're not only going to find Sydney AFL struggle if we expand fully. Um, Victoria's going to have the exact same issue. Um, and I think the most notable thing um, for me was the time and the resources. Um, at the end of the day, it's like how are these girls or women supposed to know the fundamentals of the game or know game style when the coaches don't even know it themselves? Um, and that's probably one thing that I'm learning um, being in Sydney is there's a lot of coaches that actually don't have the knowledge to empower these girls or these women to get to the next level. Um, so just off the cuff right now, I'd be like looking at, well, after COVID, there was a lot of good coaches maybe from Victoria who didn't get their jobs back. So if I was AFL New South Wales, I'd be thinking, oh, maybe it's a good time for us to go grab some Victorian coaches to actually come educate the other coaches in New South Wales. So when you're an eight-year-old girl learning how to kick the footy, you're learning how to kick the footy right rather than having to play catch-up when you're 18 years old. Well, I think Sam. to that point also there's there's an issue with, you know, as t- you're totally right about young girls learning to kick footies. And I think the issue for me watching uh, under-18s and under-16s girls over the past two years is there is an issue with kicking. There's a great application there. at Attitude's fantastic. The mark is pretty good. The tackling is outstanding. But the kicking is a serious issue. Um, and a lot of them, you know, have not grown up with footies in hand like has happened in Melbourne or Adelaide or Perth particularly. Um And then you have the issue of schools not necessarily having programs like I know of in Melbourne. I can't speak for the other states, but, you know, there are a number of independent schools here that have uh, short programs in in summer, I think. And even then they're short, but a lot of public schools don't have AFL still. So it comes back to this question of responsibility again. I feel there's lots of talk about AFL New South Wales running this. There's talk about it being on the clubs to be responsible you know, is it players and parents? Is it councils bringing grounds? Is it too big for anybody to get a handle on? Well, Someone Jar- else. <laughs> we'll hear from Jared Crouch in the fifth quarter about um, the proper techniques being being taught, the, the fundamentals, as you say, at eight years old, and how um, some of the actually the the boys who are now about to be drafted for the Swans, their parents didn't play AFL, well, uh, their their fathers didn't play AFL, their mothers didn't play um, AFL, so they haven't had that um, coaching at home, you know, the, the the backyard experience that that would be a given in, say, South Australia or, or um, Victoria. Nat? Yeah, look, I would just, thinking of it, from what Alan McConnell just said there, he's been to watch the Premier League girls play and the under-18 championships or whatever's been on recently. Like, if you're one of those players and you heard Alan say, there's no one good enough, basically. Like, how disheartening. If you're seeing him on the sideline thinking, oh, recruiters are here, let's play a good game, you think you've been playing well. He's saying no one's good enough. Now, that well, is no, no, so I think, no, no, I'll, I'll just stop players, you there, Nat. So he said there aren't 35. Mm. He said there what aren't 35. What numbers are you saying then? I don't know. Well, then be the one. Be the be one of the five. Yeah. Work yeah. harder. What are you doing <laughs> listening to the radio? Get out and kick a football. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, last last comment, Kiwi. Um, yeah, I think what Alan was sort of touching on too is, and even Catherine said it was, um, the quality of the coaches. And, yeah, as they can come through now, because our youth girls in Sydney really has probably only developed in the last probably five, six years, to be honest. And through the primary school level, we've got the Paul Kelly Cup, 
which is um, heavily run by Sydney AFL and um, is huge honours for the primary schools that do go through to the final rounds and win it, um, has a lot of accolades. And that's when you get a lot of the AFL players will come and actually spend some time with these schools. But beyond that is the older age group. So what, you know, you're 15 to your 18 year olds that are missing out on probably the same development as what you're getting in Victoria with the NAB League. And I know that Giants and Swans have NAB League teams, but they're not getting the full season. So they're getting very small supply of coaching. But when they go in and play in the Sydney comp, You've got coaches around the clubs, and this is probably the biggest challenge that Sydney has had, is the coaches don't develop players. To win premierships in Sydney, they've always done this thing where they'll go and poach good players, and they think that that is coaching, and that's where the premierships come. And, you know, um, teams like Southern Power, maybe because of their geography, have stuck more truer to developing players, but it's very rare. Most of the, especially the inner west teams, don't develop good coaching principles and then don't develop the players. And that's that's the, probably one of the bigger challenges through Sydney as well. And I think that's what Alan's probably gone and seen is um, we just don't have that development over the years in the comp. All right. Well, we are going to hear from someone from Southern Power, Catherine Hull, also known as Huggies. I don't know why she's called that. She's going to talk about data analysis with uh, Tracy Kick and... Catherine is a, I believe she is an assistant coach with under-17s Swans Academy, um, as well as uh, playing and coaching reserves at Southern Power. So let's have a listen to her talking about the technology that uh, coaches would love to have access to uh, to help with data analysis in coaching in Sydney. Having not been involved for a couple of years, are you seeing the use of game data and game review more in the Premier Division now, or is that something that still needs to be developed and, and um, you know, the sorts of things like the equipment and the programs in order to do that analysis and the skills in analysing games? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think we've seen in the last couple of years and um, with the footage and, and uh, Sydney AFL getting down there and and actually getting reasonable um, footage of the game and the quality. Um, but outside of that, I don't think we as a club have utilised much. Um, I know, and I've really, I'm really excited by it. I'm a bit of a nerd and I did exercise science. I'm an EP exercise physiologist. So I, I love that side of things not just from a coaching perspective but um, I've seen more of that through the academy program and I it's I think the value add in it from a player's perspective is just it's got to be utilized it's such a great tool Um, but sort of as you said touched on it's an educational thing and on getting everybody to be able to use it but then just having it full stop it's a money and a it's a money thing. Like it's, it costs money to set up, but it's again, more time and effort and facilities um, required to be able to, to set something up in each home ground. But I guess that's the requirement of, of having that premier division club is, is being able to set some of that stuff up. Yeah. It's a big jump, isn't it? To from, mm. if you compare premier women's division to the giants, um, you know, which is, I suppose for, uh, you know, um, age, over 18 female players who are playing women's premier division and don't have exposure to that to improve their game 
quality. Um, and then suddenly, if they did get the opportunity, for example, to be at the Giants to suddenly unveil all of that opportunity that's around game analysis um, mm. is like, it's, it's, it's a huge gap. It's like a massive chasm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I guess if you, you look at coaching who has science. any of the equipment. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, until and, and some of the men's premier division teams do, I know that, but the investment's mm. not there. And that comes back, I think, to your other discussion before about the investment in women's football and yep. in um, coaching. Kiwi. <laughs> Yeah, I've got some views on this, like um, absolutely having this footage and being able to analyse it is fantastic for development. And, um, you know, I can share and Smitty will be able to share that our age groups, our NAB League, we use it every week. We use it as an individual basis. We use it as a team basis. We use it on a, as a line when you're developing, you know, your midfield, your forwards or your backs. And right through our VFLW do the same as what our AFLW do. And yes, the fields are set up with it and the clubs have it. And often it's a case of a coach just putting a USB stick in his pocket and going and getting the footage right there and then at the game. Um, but the big difference in Sydney is, as I found last year, the company that does it, I don't believe understands what we use the footage for. So um, Catherine Hull is looking at it and saying, this is great. And Catherine Smith will probably be able to tell you the quality that we get fed in Sydney is crap. They kind of set up um, just slightly above the sideline. So you're looking very low at the field and then they zoom in. So often at a centre bounce, you don't even get to see the wingers in the vision. So when you're using that to talk about structures and types of play and where you want to go, it's pretty much useless. And I wrote to Sydney AFL last year and sort of offered um, you know, some advice said, you know, you're the guy sitting up at Sydney University, can we ask him to sit higher? Because there's absolutely space to sit higher. Macquarie University is another one, beautiful hill to sit up on. Or failing that, can we get behind the goal footage? And all I got was simply, it's an external company. They'll set up where they want to set up. And there is no such thing as behind the goal footage in Sydney, frankly, which, you know, if you, especially forwards and defence lines behind the goal footage is valuable and then the flip side of that is simply because I felt like I was the lone voice asking for it there were no other coaches in Sydney that cared enough to go and ask for something quality that they could do if you go to Pennant Hills for example they've taken it on themselves to film their games themselves because they felt um, this company wasn't producing something good enough so they pay for it themselves so a few of the clubs will do that and I think Macquarie Uni was that was on their plans to do it themselves as well and, you know, and, and that's exactly what we need. We need to then have the coaches who can analyse it. And the other side of that is also we use data, um, champion data or, you know, anything. But there's no stats done in Sydney. So you can't go back and say how many inside 50s or anything unless you engage extra people to sit on your sideline and do stats for you, which is what I had to do last year. Thank goodness Sydney women's footy has been around a long time, thanks to my old teammates that came down. Um, but, you know, Smitty, how are you finding it? Yeah, um, I can agree more with you. Like, just the footage itself is not good enough. And behind the goals is how you educate all players, running patterns, game style. Like, behind the goal is what you actually should be looking at to educate your players. Um, 
So when you don't have that, that's actually really difficult to be like, hey, forwards, you weren't on the move. They can't visualize that. Like when they can't see it, so how are they supposed to replicate that? And I think the big one for me coming from VFL is the coaches already get the games coded and the players already get the games coded. So if you're a coach in Sydney, I spend three to four hours after every game coding a game so that hopefully we will have a resource to be able to put it up so players don't go back and watch a whole game of football. They don't need to go watch a whole game of football and get actually nothing out of it. I'll prefer my players to actually be able to go to a huddle, for instance, and look at specific edits, five minutes, that's it. Because if they're sitting there watching an hour, hour and a half game, they're probably actually getting nothing out of it. So I also, if we go back to what we're talking about, coaches not being educated enough, I wonder how many coaches in Sydney AFL, I mean the women's league, actually know how to code a game and be able to send that out to their players also. Go, Nat, you've and got I about 20 seconds. You Kiwi, yeah, you, Kiwi, and Catherine, you've both done the Victorian system. So you, you've got a comparison. The coaches here in Sydney who are doing club level, they, don't, they think it's fantastic probably that they've got this footage because they've got nothing to compare it to. And so, yeah, it, it needs to be an equal playing field, doesn't it, across all the states. If we want GWS or the Swans to be able to offer the top level players, you know, the best, you know, and it, it just needs to be equal, an equal competition, Yeah. All right, we're going to say more in the fifth quarter, but uh, catch us on the flip side. We'll catch you next season. This is The Coat Hanger, and for the best hub of using women's footy, tune in in to to The Coat Coat Hanger. You're listening to the Code Hanger you- Football Radio Show. Welcome to the fifth quarter. We're here with special guest Giants AFLW player Catherine Smitty Smith and discussing the data analysis and coding that's part of the coaching um, suite of tools available readily in Victoria and other states, but not in the Sydney comp for the women at least. So we're continuing that discussion uh, here in the fifth quarter. Kiwi. Um, yeah, and, you know, Nat was talking about, uh, you know, the equality between the states and things. I look at it now and I go, a 16-year-old in one of our programs here, we will film her game in the weekend. And as Catherine Smith said, we can give her specific edits about what she's doing right or what she needs to work on. That's 16 years old. She'll be in our system for three years getting that specific um, development prior to playing senior women's footy, but before she's eligible to be drafted. Whereas in Sydney, we can't even get that right now for our senior woman to develop that comp. So how can we get it going with more of the under-18s? And, you know, if they're in the academies, it's great to some degree, but they don't get the regular games. So they're not getting that vision. So, um, you know, it's it's something Sydney has just absolutely... Um, been Drop, left behind. Drop the ball on. Was and, that what you're about to say? Yeah. Incorrect disposal. Oh, yeah, I wanted to. <laughs> Incorrect disposal. <laughs> Absolutely. March them for more than 50 metres for that. But, you know, it's just, it's it's not so hard to set up. And it's really not so hard to train the coaches how to do it. A lot of coaches are pretty wise with computer, with using apps, with, you know, com- communicating and want to teach their team or want to develop their team. And, you know, we sat recently with a couple of old school coaches here in Victoria and show, showed them how to do it. And now they're doing their own edits. It's, it's really not that hard. Just 
teach them, give them the tools, give them the power. Kiwi, I think there are a couple of other issues here though in Sydney with regards to getting vision to players because you have the, it sounds ridiculous to say this, but I don't think there are enough spaces to sit the players down in and show them that vision. And at the footy clubs that I've been involved with here and I'm coaching now with, you know, East Bulldogs, we don't have club rooms. Like the, that's one of the other issues in Sydney footy is that there are no club rooms in the same way that the, you have the traditional club rooms in Melbourne. Again, I'm, I can't speak for the States, but I know certainly Melbourne has, you know, you have a place where you can go, you can have your pasta nights on a Thursday night after training, you have everyone go back there after a match. And that doesn't occur in Sydney because the councils run the grounds for the most part. So I have been struggling to think of where I could take my under 18s players to watch some vision. And it is so far from everybody's radar. So training up the coaches is one thing, but actually finding a space to watch that vision is so much more difficult than you would think as ridiculous as that sounds. It seems it needs to be part of a sponsorship package where um, there's a space made available, whether it's actually the sponsor who is providing the space or if just payment to hire the space is part of their sponsorship of, you know, that that little bit that they're contributing. Kiwi. Um, there's, there's a couple of ways around that. Um, when we're with the Sandy kids down at St Kilda, yes, we use the theatre and Collingwood at the Holden Centre get the theatre. We That's had it at North Melbourne. It's part of Melbourne Yeah. Union. And when we're at um, Victoria Park, we don't have club rooms there. We only have change rooms. So we actually take a projector and just sit down in the change rooms. We just set it up, put it against a whiteboard um, or a plain white ward. We might put up some butcher paper, um, but we can sit in the change rooms. The other thing that probably we're also familiar using is Zoom. So a lot of our Sandy boys at the moment, they're on a three-week break. They're doing video footage on Wednesday via Zoom. And um, some of our girls do because... Um, when the Sandy Girl, when the NAB League started, we weren't allowed to have meetings. It was still pretty COVID restricted. So um, we did a lot of our v- reviews via Zoom, which most people, you know, you can sit at home now and tune in and um, do it. And um, so there's, there are other ways, there are ways around it. But yeah, there are certain challenges with um, a different setup in Sydney to, to Melbourne, but it can be done. You actually bought a. Um... Big old clunky projector, Kiwi, didn't you? <laughs> I did, I did, and I liked it around a couple of times um, to uh, MacUni, and because yeah. of the rained out nights, we would sit in the um, yoga room at the university there, and um, the canteen at MacUni, and I hopefully someone's directed it to this, um, Catherine, is there's a projector in there. So in the end, I didn't have to use it, but there's a projector and there's an electronic screen that will drop down. So it's in the canteen. We just brought chairs, just told everyone, bring their own camp chairs, sit down. Boom, there you go. Go, Nat. Um, Catherine, as another comparison between Victoria and New South Wales, because you did Melbourne uh, for a couple of years and now you're up with the Giants. Um, With, the say, the medical side of things and rehab and physios, What's is it? Is there a stark difference too in the money and the facilities available? Because you did your knee, didn't you? Yeah. So I came back. F- I did my knee at the D's. Um, so at the start of the 2020 season, I did my knee. So I missed that season. Um, and then I took the trade while in rehab um, to the Giants. Um, if you look at the number of staff, I went from Melbourne, who we had eight coaches. I think we had five SNC, two, three physios then like three masseuses and a doctor to Giants where we have four coaches, one head of SNC, one assistant SNC, two physios. 
a doctor. But to the credit of the Giants and probably why the Giants were so such an attractive club to move to was the quality of the high-performance stuff at the Giants is above and beyond. Um, my knee was at a not in a great place and had a lot of setbacks there. Um, and it was, yeah, a lot of the reason I went to, I guess, the Giants um, and looked at the Giants as a place because I knew how good their, their people were in their high-performance. But like I said, when you have, I guess, double, sometimes triple the amount of numbers at a football club, that was what was shocked me the most. Sorry, just to follow up. So what happened in between, say, in the off-season? Did the Giants look after you with um, – because I know you're only sort of signed to a five-month sort of deal type thing. You were looked after, though, in that in the interim of seasons? Um, I think you're probably going to ask me about the trade. It might – Yeah. Yeah, so yeah fit it yeah. in with um, that. Sure. probably easier to touch on it with that. So I did my knee, yeah, Jan 2020, and then, like, COVID hit. So I was still contracted with the D's. Um, I was out of contract with the D's technically, but because I did my injury with them, they had to look after me until the trade period. But I was in Melbourne lockdown for the whole entire lockdown of Melbourne. So I didn't come up to the Giants till really late. Um, and so in that period of time, um, the Giants worked with um, a high performance centre in Melbourne to make sure I was getting the programming I needed there and that, that it was good communication. I was lucky enough that the guy who ran it was really close with Sim the Giants S and C. So that kind of like crossed over there. Um, and then hotel quarantine and then got to the Giants and then that was kind of when they took over. But there was this weird period of time when I was deciding whether to stay at the D's or um, move my life that it was a bit in limbo and the D's were really supportive and they kept programming me until I took that trade with the Giants. The S and C there actually programmed me for two weeks after just in case there was time needed so I was pretty blessed with like some really good people to support me through that time and so is it a little bit awkward now with Melbourne do they give you the dirty stink eye or uh, uh nah um <laughs> there's a lot of love um I have a lot of love for the D's um they were very respectful of my decision to move it was pretty mutual um it was kind of like um there's an opportunity to change my life and have a lifestyle choice and challenge myself as a person um rather than just being a Victoria live in Victoria all my life um, and I guess for them coming off a year of five ACLs, it was probably pretty hard to contract <laughs> all of us, um, but God, it was very yeah. mutual and it was kind of like, they really supported me through that. Um, the coach Mick Sinear at the D's, um, great coach, lots of love for him as well. So we always check in same with the PDM there and all the girls. So really great relationship with the D's still. Yeah, that's great to hear. And so Smitty, you started in, you, you played you started in the first year of, of D's AFLW, played in the first game and um, played three seasons. Am I correct in saying yeah. that? Three seasons with D's. And um, as I mentioned before the show, um, we're all still finding ways to, to reminisce and remember our friend Jacinda Barclay. And um, I think you have at least one, uh, one memory of uh, her on the, on the field. Yeah. Um, <laughs> playing against her playing against as an her. opponent. Um so I think it was probably the second season. I always had, um, I was matched up against Giants, Giants always Cinder or Cora as my matchup. And I can't remember if I tackled Cinder or t- Cinder tackled me. But when she we got up, she was like, oh, sorry, babe. And I kind of was like shocked by the sorry and the babe at the same time. I was like, what? That was, didn't need to say sorry, but thank you. And I kind of just walked off being like, what actually just happened? Um, Classic. But yeah. it was, yeah, I could, it was definitely a big hit either way 
or if it was me tackling her or her tackling me, it was definitely a big hit. Yeah. Um, but it was a credit to kind of her and her personnel. So that's kind of my fond memory of Cinder. Yeah, it's a nice one. <laughs> yeah, Catherine, I've got I've been several questions. I'm trying to think which one to pick, but um, maybe just a really light question. I'm curious about you. You mentioned the lifestyle change. You know, you didn't want to necessarily be in Victoria all your life and you took the chance to kind of change things up. And I felt similarly when I came to Sydney, it's kind of an adventure, isn't it? It's all brand new and sparkly, it's sparkly city. That's for sure. What are you, what are you loving about Sydney and what are you missing about Melbourne? Um, missing the coffee in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. <laughs> um, that's probably the easiest one. <laughs> um, uh, obviously my family and friends are still very much so Victorian. So that's always a challenge. Um, but for me, it was always beaches, warmer weather, beautiful kind of nature, all those kind of things that um, I guess you're drawn to in Sydney and that's um, even still driving around just the harbours everywhere. There's water everywhere, no matter where you go. So um, pretty beautiful place to be. That's for sure. Nice. Kiwi? Um, where where has uh, your favourite um, break to surf been so far up there? Um, I actually only got back started surfing at post-season. Prior to the season, I was like, with my nerves, I just want to make sure that I get back playing. So we kept it off. Um, I do love going up north, like Manly, Freshy. And we kind of, there's a good Giants crew there. There's about five girls who live up that way. Um, so we kind of head there. Tani, who's my housemate, is a mad surfer. She's a little grommet and a half. So she's just <laughs> always keen to go for a surf no matter where it is. But yeah, definitely enjoy kind of like the northern beaches. Oh, I might be biased, but head to the south coast. <laughs> really nice, really nice place. Um, also, I might say I'm, I'm pretty sure you're living out Concord Way, right? Yeah, a lot of Italians. There should be some good coffee out there. Someone has thought. to show you where Habit the good cafes yeah, are. Lucky in Concord, we have like our three or four spots. But I think it's just Melbourne. Like you can go anywhere and get a good coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no right. That is very, very true. <laughs> no misses, all hits. Go Nat. Um, Catherine, was it hard to? join a new club like is it a welcoming you know having been opponents and I'm sure there's probably been words and things said or done against you know when you played each other and then you walk into a whole new environment it's you against all them are they welcoming is it an easy thing to do yeah um all the girls were incredible like um really nice very welcoming um but half of them actually had no idea who I was so <laughs> that made it actually a lot easier like a lot of did they not like, watch other matches pardon <laughs> Do they not watch other matches? Yeah, like I mean, I, I would have thought your reputation precedes you, Catherine. But um, you know, are they not at least watching other matches? Yeah, yeah. So. There's no footage in Sydney. They don't, your players don't watch the footage. <laughs> Just comes back to the footage. Yeah. Um, but I was lucky that I had, um, like Pepper Randall, Beck Priv, Eva, Jess Delpos, like a lot of Victorian girls who I've had, um, either played with or been coached by, um, that were there, and then. Um, a few kind of people I knew already through the Giants through just playing against them as well. So I was pretty lucky in that sense. But, um, yeah, coming to a new club is weird because I was so, um, I guess, comfortable at the Ds and knew every season what it was about, what we were going to do, where you're going to go, and then going to a new club, totally different, um, not knowing any, like what it was about really, and then also still being rehab. I was on the sides for... Uh, basically all of pre-season and only started fully training till round one of the season. So you had that in there. Um, that was actually quite difficult, I found, because that's my way of connecting with my teammates is on the field and training. So that was a kind of a little hurdle that I had to overcome. Did you um, do rehab with anyone in particular or was everyone fighting fit when you arrived? Um, Britt Tully had a little bit of a knee 
um, that she was rehabbing with as well. Um, so it was kind of me, Brit and Sim, the SNC that kind of teamed up and got it done, which was nice. But all the girls, like every single training session asked, did you run? Did you do this? What, what's next? Can we do it off legs with you? And I'm um, just really supportive. Nice. Go in. Uh, I'm wondering, Catherine, if you had ultimate like football power in New South Wales, <laughs> what's the one thing you would do to make life better for females in New South Wales? What do you think is the one thing you would change? Should have worded you up about this question beforehand, shouldn't uh, I? Question, question without notice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a rough one. I'm going to go back to the coaches. <laughs> like to me, yep. it's, yeah. Um, I've always been really blessed with having really, really good coaches that also just brought it back to fundamentals. Like I love coaches that are going to make you an individually the best player you can be and therefore your team's going to be really great. Um, and that's the way I like to coach as well. But I think coaches really get stuck in their head like oh let's do these amazing drills that do a 45 kick and then along down the line and the switch where people can't kick the ball or even little tricks that make you a better one-on-one player like for instance at Mac Uni um I said that the girls to check like defensively check their opponent and my whole entire team were like we played for three years and we didn't know you could do that and yep. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, so when you have... <laughs> Kiwi's upset now. She's offended. Sorry, Kiwi. <laughs> so actually you, you're going to have to, because I'm a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm not a player. When well, you say well, only, ch- only check your opponent. I didn't, use the word, I didn't use the word check, but we did do it last year. So I'm astounded it doesn't sink in. But what, I know that there's... What does that there's mean There's a bunch though? of the Div 2s playing up. So you just Check like, your opponent. Yeah, defensively like stop your player's ability to run past you by just giving them a little nudge. Right. So like right. kind of like an off the ball. The old bumper bar bump. thing too, right? There's another way to yeah. describe it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think the quick fix, you do that and then girls in four weeks know how to kick the ball and then in three weeks they know how to pick up a ground ball safely and well and tackle well and then you just see the whole lift of the competition. Um, probably give an example. The D's our first year, we had a lot of girls that couldn't kick the ball, didn't have the talent, but the, fun, the um, emphasis on fundamentals – is what makes these now a really, really great team in the FW competition. Great. Another one. Can I, sorry, one more, if, if we're not running yeah, out no, of time go, or anything. Go, go. Um, now, Catherine, you said in the little uh, bit earlier when before we went to air that you're going to head back down to Victoria to play football. Is that correct? How will that fit in with your coaching here in Sydney with the competition still running? How will that all work out? Yeah. Um, so the discussions with Mac Uni prior to agreeing to coach was that I need to go back home and play in the VFL to get back to my best football after my knee. I didn't expect to come in till round five. I expect to play the whole season and my knee said otherwise. Um, so I made that very clear to the start and they still really wanted to have me involved in a head coach role. Um, so we've combined the head coach role for with myself and jo- Jody Hicks. Um, so while I'm here, I coach. While I'm away, she coaches. Um play a coach role for her. Um, but for me, I'm looking at still while I'm in Victoria, still being able to coach. So I will help coach the coaches, our assistant coaches, um, with training programs, drills, send through everything they kind of need to know um, yep. and keep developing the game style that we're progressing towards. And then um, I'll code every game and be able to send through the vision that the girls need and be able to do reviews remotely um, on that side of things. And is the standard here in Sydney not good enough for you and where you need to be? Is that why you're heading back to Melbourne? Uh, 
unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that is why I'm heading back to Melbourne. Um, I look at it as every VFL game I will go up against 11 AFLW girls um, each week, whereas here I'm going up against two, maybe three of my teammates. So I'm going to go up against maybe your Elise a day, like your juniors from Carlton and actually get better. Yep. And then AFLW season, I play against Carlton and I've already had the practice on how to play against junior. Like for me, it's um, a way to get back to my best, but also develop against some of the best players in the competition rather than my teammates. I know you felt a bit awkward answering that, but we appreciate <laughs> your honesty. We wouldn't ask a, qu- a question yeah. if you if we didn't want an honest Thank answer. You. Let's now tune in to, to the code hanger. That was the wrong thing. I wanted to press that one. So it seemed like a really semi-professional segue. <laughs> They're my favourite. Was see? it good for you? <laughs> oh, God. So Kiwi chatted to Jared Crouch, head coach of Sydney Swans Academy and the Allies Under-19s National Championship teams, and he was talking fundamentals in Sydney and what coaches look for in elite players. So let's have a listen to that now. Last year was my first engagement with local football in Sydney. And as much as you know about it, you hear about it, until you see it firsthand, how important um, us getting in there and, and helping coach education, it's crucial. It's crucial to the you know, the fundamental development from you know, the six to you know, 10-year-olds, that they get the fundamentals right, the kick mark and pass, so that as they get older, um, you, can, you, know, you can start to teach um, you know, other parts of the game, but you know those those you know, our fundamentals are just crucial that they get right. And um, you know, so I'll give you an example of our boys' academy. You know, seventy five percent of the boys, their parents would have never have played at Australian rules football. You know, they don't have that generational knowledge about how to, you know, to kick, to how to mark, how to hand pass properly. Um, you know, you do get all these variants from. Um, yeah, other codes, rugby codes, and all that, which is you know not um, doesn't flow through well with our game. Um, you know, you do know, and this is you can enjoy the game, but you know, from a development aspect, I want to get the fundamentals right, just in case that you know that that, that individual is that 0.5 percent that will go on to the highest level, and um, you know, make sure you get those those foundations right. So, I'm seeing it. We're trying to put things in place, but, you know, it, don't underestimate how hard COVID has hit the footballing world. Everyone talks about the, the highest level, but through your grassroots, um, we've lost a lot of footballing knowledge at this stage um, out of the area. And we just need to, we need to find ways to re-engage them, get them back involved and, and ensure that, uh, and that's not just in New South Wales. I know that's conversations in Victoria and other places like that. We've got to get, keep that knowledge flowing through because our game is so unique and the skill set to play at the highest level is so unique. You know, the Giants recruiting staff are actually all, some of them are former Swans Academy coaches and that as well. So, you know, it's, uh, as I said, there's, it's a reasonably small knit community up here. So we are um, you know, um, always constant. I, I talk to the Giants, boys, coaches, all that type of stuff with, with different stuff at the academy, so yeah, absolutely, we're all, we're all talking. And uh, can you share any insights to the type of players that uh, Giants might be looking to draft this season? <laughs> uh, well, I think there's anyone good athletic players that kick off the goals. I oh, look, oh, I didn't go into that those details. I guess when my discussions are, um, 
you know, them just discussing the players that we'd have in the academy. Uh, what can I tell them about them? What are their characters like? You know, what are their strengths? What are their, what are the weaknesses? Are they actually, you know, are we actually seeing the best in this carnival or has they got a bit more to, to give? So they're the type of conversations I I have um, around that. Uh, yeah, with, with different recruiting staff, no different to what I have with, um, you know, anyone trying to, um, you know, boys, uh, space as well. That's the type of questions they ask. But character, what are their strengths? Um, where do you see them playing? Are you trying to be like a recruitment agent or something, Kiwi? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I knew if we asked that question of Alan, he would never show his cards. Um, and I thought maybe I could just catch Jared off guard, but you know, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> and uh, he's giving nothing up. But um, so yeah. apart from and the old the old COVID <laughs> excuse, like COVID slowing us down, what can we take from that? <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, I guess he pretty much is saying the same things that we've been saying all night, and um, and really his. His involvement with the female side of things in Sydney, well, he's been with he's been with the Sydney Swans Academy ever since he retired. But the girls have only been involved the last few years, and and so he's crossed over to that more recently. And I'm pretty certain this is his first year as an allies coach. So involvement with the actual state representation under 19 or under 18 program. And I'm Catherine may be able to confirm. I'm pretty sure there's six New South Wales girls in that group. So, because um, the Allies program is a few states together, so you'll have, um, was it, no, it was, no it's not Wales, Queensland, it's um, Tasmania, ACT, New South Wales, yep. and someone else, isn't it, Catherine? Northern Territory. Oh, NT, of course. Yes. So, so, so for that whole squad of 24, 26 players, you're sharing those 24 positions across those states. So less development in that regard, because if we go back 10 years, we would send a whole team of under 18s that were from New South Wales. So, you know, that was, to me, that was 26 kids from New South Wales getting an opportunity, 26 kids from ACT getting an opportunity, 26 kids from Northern Territory getting an opportunity. There's already over 75 kids Whereas now we cut it right down and only, you know, 24 from that um, get the experience and get that growth and get that development. So that's probably another bug bite of mine. And I understand it comes down to the quality as well because they obviously want to have high quality at these state carnivals. Um, And, you know, it's just, yeah, probably six girls from under-18s in Sydney that get to go away and have that exposure and um, seen by recruiters because that's where they will spot them and um, get their expertise from the coaches of Catherine Smith, Jared Crouch last year, Alicia Eva. Um, you know, they're the kind of coaches that are working with the New South Wales girls. Um, I think it's a really interesting one when you talk about fundamentals and also why you get drafted. Um, like I was having this conversation with Crouchy when we were at the carnival. as like, you get drafted based on your strengths. You don't get drafted on, you can't do this. Like take me, for instance. I didn't get drafted because I wasn't aerobic aerobically able to run I got drafted because I had the footy skills behind me so when you talk about fundamentals and coaching fundamentals I'm a big believer you also have to coach the individual fundamentals for that specific player so for instance if you've got a Taylor Harris like player you're going to want to teach her the fundamentals of speckies jumping at the football etc if you're coaching a player like an inside mid you need to be coaching the fundamentals of a how to take a tackle and b 
how to actually tackle properly. Overarching, yes, everyone needs to learn these things, but the how people get drafted and how these kids are going to get drafted is based on what they're good at, not what they can't do. The AFL clubs will fix that to the level that they need to, but it's the the spark, the strengths, the weapons of these kids that get them drafted. So allowing those players to their natural skill or their natural attribute, like reinforce that rather than try and smother it in a over the board type training drill. Let them still be those the player that sort of got there, caught the eye anyway. So that's that's your thinking, is it Catherine? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think every player needs to learn how to kick handball, ground ball, mark safely, tackle correctly, take a tackle tr- correctly, but also spend that individual time with those taller players that need how to learn how to specky or those inside mids that need to know how to fend off. Um, or just kind of like make it very specific to your player, especially for that high-end ta- talent. Em, did you have something you wanted to say? I, I was just thinking actually that another of the issues, and I, I, you know, I feel like I've focused quite a lot on problems, but Go culture, ahead, you know, negative it's a, Nelly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll wear that. Uh, it is a cultural issue, you know, and that's probably stating the bleeding obvious, but when we talk about needing to get the fundamentals into girls who are six or eight years old, you know, and then having a bunch of teenagers, I am always at them to have a footy at home that they're playing with or take outside. And if it's kick against the fence, but they're practicing the technique we've taught for kicking, you know, from like how to raise your leg up behind your bum kind of, you know, like it's that fundamental. Um, And I don't think they're doing that right now. That's not to blame the kids. I think really it's got to do with, a, a sort of a lack of culture of Aussie rules footy in Sydney still, even though it's grown enormously, you just haven't got that. And I don't think very many of them are watching matches either, either AFLW matches or AFLM matches. It, it's just not in the consciousness, like the comment that Jared, I think it was Jared made about the parents not being there for it either. You know, there's still a lot of that. It's just not on the tally all the time. Whereas I was, I was, and you're probably the same, Catherine, and, and that, you know, absolutely saturated with it as a kid. I couldn't get enough, really. And I don't think I came from an especially footy family either. So how do you deal with that? You know, because it's one thing to say, yeah, here's how you kick. But unless you go and do your 10,000 hours or whatever it is on your own, it's almost not even worth teaching. So and not you... even just the skills, but commentating while you're doing it as well. And Natty takes a specky and then she bounces <laughs> twice and she kicks it through the goal. See, exactly. And so that's you see that. Of it, but that's, that's Victoria for that, you. That's the fundamentals that you need so that you can then do a making the call course or an ABC commentating course, play by play. Um, yeah. So, but um, are you. That was how Nat played. <laughs> I remember marking up on her. <laughs> Nat's going to take a speck in it. All right, I'm here. I'm coming. <laughs> Emma, I was it. going to ask, do you ever get a chance to address the parents of, or are you, are you so are you talking hypothetically or are you talking about an actual no, um, actual age group? Yep. So yep. Un, oh. under which, which age group? I've got under 18s and had under mm. 16s last year. So yeah. more or less the same group of girls that have moved into that upper age group. And that's only one group of girls at one club. So it's certainly not a, you know, I can't throw a blanket over the entire comp. Um, but you really, I think speaking to the girls individually, you get a real sense that they just don't, they're just not watching the footy very much. Mm-hmm. Oh, they love it. They love playing. There's no doubt about it. They're really enjoying what they're doing. But um, I think it's, and I think it's bigger than them. I think there's just not the culture in schools of doing it. You know, it hasn't been around that much. So 
And that maybe that's just a time thing. Maybe it is like we know that it's growing here. We know it's growing really well here. Now the Giants have been here for five years, the, the women's team. You know, perhaps that helps as well. But we've got to get them watching the footy and we've got to get them kicking a footy around in the backyard. Catherine, you've got something to say on yeah, this, I'm sure. I even think like generationally, when I was growing up, I was playing footy with the boys at lunchtime. Like yep, up in primary school and stuff and going to schools and like having visit, visits to school. You don't even see the boys doing that. Like even in Victoria these days, like it's just like overall not a thing where you're seeing kids playing footy, playing with basketball, whatever it is, like doing that at lunchtime or after school as much. And so then, yeah, the natural kind of talent or you just like your finesse you're getting in those moments playing sport in your like hours off, you're just not getting but I think that watching footy is massive. Like a lot of these girls aren't watching footy, have no idea who Elise Parker is. And mm. I put money on next year. She's going to take out the AFLW BNF. Like she's a star in her own sense. And that's who I think majority of these girls should look up to and want to be like. Yeah. Well, the reason I mentioned uh, parents before is that I sat in on a meeting that the head coach at Sandringham ja- Dragons um, was having a presentation he was giving the the parents. And so Kiwi sort of said, oh, why don't you go in? Because I was down there visiting Kiwi at the time. And um, it was just, it was so eye-opening to just see their their plan, their game plan, their their and their particular things they'd be, they'd asked of each player every game. Um, and I could just see how the parents just, just loved being engaged that way. And I could see how helpful it was for them to understand what was being asked of their sons. It was the, it was the boys' team. Um, and I do wonder if you could, if, if that's something that coaches need to do um, for, for younger age groups as well. Uh, I was really inspired by it. But one thing I did want to share is that um, when, and now I can't remember the head coach's name, Kiwi, Jackson Cromberg. Jackson. So Jackson was explaining, um, you know, this is this is what what this means. This is what that means. And of course, then we want we we there are some keywords. So locate. Um, and he said, you know, that's when they mark up on a player. And he he listed four or five words. <laughs> you know what he didn't say? Flow Man up. Flow smashing contest. Flow smashing contest. <laughs> what he didn't say was man up. So if an under-19s coach cannot, can avoid saying man up, then every other bloody commentator and coach can manage it too. There's yeah, plenty well of said, other Faye. terms. Well yes. said. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I reckon that's probably um, going to be part of it is engaging the parents. Go Kiwi. And some of, some of it is, um, you know, and Catherine Smith here is a former Sandringham Dragons junior. I know um, that. Is that catchment that um, they come from some of those parents are former players so they are absolutely interested in what their children are doing male or female Um, and we've actually got a brother and sister in our group now who probably both will get drafted whose dad is a lawyer did not play football so Mm -hmm. it's such a varied group out there but they are very engaged in um, the outcomes or potential outcomes or what is going on. So it's fantastic that what Jackson did, that's actually the first time I've seen it done. Um, so I'm stoked that you got to go in because uh, the rest of the coaching team weren't in on this meeting and didn't know what it was. He just said he's taking the parents in to talk to them. So I just said, Fee, just go have a listen. So, um, so yeah, now that I know what was this inspiring. secret business was, <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's fantastic. 
It's something that's I don't, like, Did they do it when you were there, um, Catherine? Uh, not when I was there, but I worked for the Melbourne Academy. Um, and so we had like under 15s, under 16s. Um, and in my second year there, we did that with the, um, with the parents. Cause then you can also talk about values and kind of expectations and, um, kind of hold parents and both players accountable for yeah. what it means to wear at that stage, the Melbourne football club brand or the Sandringham dragon or the giants brand, what those logos actually mean. And therefore both the parents and the players can act, mm. but also just, I always find the purpose behind why we're coaching or why we're doing things a certain way, like does allow parents to actually connect with their kids or tell a story and also allows the kids to actually know why they're doing a certain drill or doing this certain thing. And then mum and dad can say, oh, why did you do this drill? They can be so we can locate our player. So it's always kind of like intertwined in that sense. Go net. No, twirling my head, not a question. <laughs> It's like being at auction. We've, we've ended the season the way we started. <laughs> I was just going to quickly say, Faye, just on the parents, uh, a very quick one, just so we don't sell the, the Sydney parents short, I think that certainly at the club I'm coaching, there are a number of parents that are um, often expats from Victoria or South Australia or WA who do have footy backgrounds. And, um, you know, I think perhaps their kid has come to footy anyway, but certainly they're very encouraging. And the other thing I'd love to say quickly is that the club really – um, has a number of dad coaches there who are awesome. They they know what they're talking about thoroughly. I mean, they're very, very good coaches and, you know, obviously deeply encouraging as their daughter's playing footy. And honestly, the, the place really hums with their input. And I, I've always loved the dads in junior footy, junior girls footy, because sometimes I think the mums are a little bit scared about their daughters getting injured and the dad's are like, nah, come on, you know, she'll be right. So um, there is that presence in Sydney footy as well. And I think it makes a huge difference to the positive experience of those underage girls under 18 girls. Great to hear. I think you're right, Emma. I think through the youth girls, there are a lot of really excited and keen parents. And I know um, there's a couple that I've come across, especially with my time last year when I was up in Sydney, um, is a guy through um, North, I think they're called Northwest Cats or Northern something Cats, but they're over they're over North Shore area, but they're definitely the Cats. Um and so he's come through, he's obviously coached his daughter who was 12, 13, uh, then got more into interested in developing himself as a coach. So did his level two last year. He um, followed Christian, did the Div 2 coach at Macquarie around last year. And now he's been along all this preseason and busting to learn more off Catherine Smith and um, and develop himself as he goes. And, you know, he's not the exception. There's another guy, um, Wilco, who's from... Um, St. Ives, he developed the youth girls program up at St. Ives and again he wants to grow and develop himself so he's gone over to um, he was at East Coast Eagles and now he's gone to Macquarie to grow himself but this is I guess the challenge is that they're going into clubs to learn and grow rather than Sydney AFL actually taking them and saying let's do some specific coach development programs at the elite level so outside of you doing your level two course, let's show you how to use footage or let's, you know, talk about um, programs like Huddle, which for those who aren't coaches, it's H-U-D-L. It's a huge tool that you can use at your club land to um, upload videos and cut and do all the clips and things, education that we use. Uh, there's other ones around uh, without a doubt, but just to show them what's there, um, 
I'm certain that most of these coaches coming through or parents coming through wanting to coach don't know about these things. So, you know, that's where I just think Sydney AFL need to, and it seems like all these people we've interviewed, it has come down to coach education and developing coaches. If we can have coaches that can operate at an elite level, then we can also get, you know, our premier comp working at an elite level. And, you know, if we get correct coaching techniques to teach the fundamentals, then the girls coming through the grades are going to, you know, be better athletes because of the skill that they have. So, um, yeah, there's definitely potential. And, um, and you know, I don't think it's that hard for Sydney AFL to implement some of these programs. Yeah, well, well said, said, Kiwi. I reckon that's probably a good note to end on. Thanks, Kiwi. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to play those interviews in full now. And then if you're still listening after all four, you'll hear our sign-off that is true coat hanger style. So first of all, we're going to hear from Veto, Yvette Andrews, who was this year's New South Wales AFLW Cup Ambassador. And she chats to our sometimes collegial, sometimes comedic, often controversial, Nat Morgan. What better way to kick off this uh, chat about Sydney Women's AFL than to start at the very beginning, which was uh, 21 years ago, back in 2001. The uh, competition in Sydney began, and one of the inaugural and integral players is my guest tonight. Welcome, Yvette Andrews. G'day, Nat. How are you going? Or, or Morgan, I think we used to call you on the field. <laughs> you might have, among among other names as well, I reckon. <laughs> Good stuff. How did you um end up getting involved in that very first season? Yeah, well, um, we sort of started a little bit before then because we had to try and find some teams. So I think it was about 98 that um, we had a bit of a kick down at um, Pick and Oval in um, Ashbury. And then the following year, we um, put on some, you know, like exhibition games, I suppose, you know, East versus West. We had a couple of those. And actually on the um, 8th of March, 1999, which is International Women's Day, we um, formed the association, the City Women's AFL, the SWAFL, which to this day I still think is the best footy acronym in the country. <laughs> we were the SWAFL. And, um, and then, of course, we, we had that first season in uh, 2000. And um, I think you and uh, so the Glebe Cyclones and yep. um, the Western Wolves played in the first match. I think that was the one and we got flogged is my memory. I think we got flogged from the very beginning because I guess you were associated with the men's club from the very beginning at West. Is that right? Or were you freestanding? No, we were actually freestanding and we only um, officially joined up with the club um, or we merged the two clubs two years ago. Um, and, you know, quite properly so in response to the AFL's one club approach, which I completely agree with. I mean, you're not a footy club these days unless you have a women's team. And I think that's the right way to approach, you know, footy in Sydney. But we had an affiliation with them. So we used um, we, we used the Oval. Um, Barbara Dickon, who was the timekeeper for the men's, was a great supporter of ours from the very beginning. And we used to meet in the club. So the first meeting... Um, of the official meeting of the Women's AFL happened at that club there. So there's been a really long connection with the um, Western Suburbs um, AFL club. And when we came together, which was pretty traumatic because, you know, I had to give up my song and, you know, the name of the... Because <laughs> we wrote all this stuff ourselves. We wrote the song ourselves. 
we invented our own name, we did our own, you know, our own, um, you know, mascots and all sorts of things. Um, but we um, joined up with the men's club, became the Magpies and changed the name to the Inner West um, Magpies because Ashfield really isn't the Western Sydney, the Western suburbs of Sydney anymore. So no, there were spread a few changes. It's spread and a lot further, hasn't it? So, it has. well, in those early days, like say that very first year of the competition, what are some of your memories of, you know, the setup and how it all played out? Um, it certainly wasn't as professional as it is now. What were some of your recollections of how the games unfolded? Um, well, we had to make our own goalposts. They were somewhat challenging to the goal umpires at certain times. What um, were they made out of? PVC pipes. Um, and they were stuck in the ground, they worked. Uh, you know, that first grand final went into double extra time and I was the league secretary at the time. And I remember having played a game and extra time of footy, having to have a meeting with the umpires and the AFL at, at that end of extra time to work out what the hell we were gonna to do to finish the game. So that was kind of quite strange being a, a kind of, <laughs> trying to make a, a, a footy decision and play a game of football at the same time but I was very proper about it and we actually just decided because of the strength of the wind that we would just have to keep playing um you know extra time until it it um finished so yeah you know, two five minutes um of extra time so that was sort of there was sort of moments like that along the way um I think what I've about like so the, that grand final was at least one game on the one ground. What were the early... My memory is we played two games on oh, the yeah. one field at the one time. Is that true? Or is it just, yeah, you know, yeah. bad well, nightmares? <laughs> no, probably bad nightmares. Um, no, it wasn't. It was true. I mean, we didn't know if we'd get enough players, so we played nine aside across the field, which we would, we outgrew by the third round. Like, it was just quite ridiculous. But the other problem, of course, too, was that... Um, people didn't take us seriously. So it's hard to get grounds. I, I rang round councils and they'd say things like, oh, sorry, all the football grounds book, but you can have some netball courts. And so, <laughs> so yeah, we, no. we kind of were having that battle as well. So we made the best of what we could. And it was very obvious after the end of um, the first um, season that we could actually, um, you know, play full field and we had the number of players to take it to that level. But, you know, some other interesting <laughs> comparisons we had five teams in that first year and you kind of recruit anyone I can remember walking around shopping centers and we had a joke that you know if you saw a fit you know strong looking woman you'd just tall chuck a, tall you'd just chuck a watermelon at her and see if she caught it and if she did you'd sign her up um, <laughs> but you know this year in the women's AFL in Sydney there's five divisions wow. and clubs that have six teams so there's you know, I, I um, went to a game because I'm now the vice president of um, the Inner West Magpies and I went to a practice match and um, at the beginning of the year against Newcastle. And, you know, this is how women do things differently. I think it's really nice. We had one slot. Instead of trying to do a, rever a reserves and a kind of first and reserves, we just put everyone on the field, which was lovely because the Div 2 players were playing with AFLW players and <laughs> So there was a bench of 25, but there were more players I worked out on that field that day for that one game than we had in our entire season the first year. In so the whole competition in the of whole 2001. Competition. Exactly. In 2000, it was 2000. It was the year. 2000. Yeah. Uh. So, and, you know, you know, competitions on the South Coast and the, in, you know, in the Northwest and, um, you know, at Upper Coffs Harbour and um, out at, 
um, in the central western Dubbo, they have as many teams as we did back then, you know, and so there's these comps all across um, New South Wales. You might remember going out to Dubbo and playing the Dubbo Demons. Yeah. I was going to remind you of that because we actually <laughs> went in like a little street parade. It was like the Dubbo, I don't know, their day of, you know, honour or something. There's a street parade and we were like guests of honour on the street parade. But I think we were also a little bit like freaks of, you know, turning up and they didn't know what to make of us. But they did. It was good. We split up the teams and played with some of the junior girls and everything. And it was, it was a great event. They were very welcoming. Mm. But, yeah, it was it was weird times, wasn't it? Um, even that first nationals that we went to. Uh, so that must have been 2001. We probably didn't go in that 2000. No, we did. did we? we did. Okay. So Canberra and that year? Yeah. 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 Um, and it was pretty much like if you wanted to play, you got in the New South Wales team. Like if you I could get time off work. Stop, shut up. <laughs> if, you could, if you could pay no. the bills and if you could um, get time off, you got in the in the state side. But what was worse is I remember um, that the uniform, I think we even had to pay for our trackies and stuff. And then at the end of the tournament, like we're running around with the, you know, the New South Wales Blues jersey. And at the end of the tournament, whoever the manager was said, okay, um, can I have the jumpers back, girls? And I go, what do you mean give our jumpers back? You can't play in a jersey of your state and then return it to a kitty sort of for next year. So I think we all had to pay 60 bucks or buy them or something. Um, I, yeah, maybe, but we definitely didn't have much money. We we were very excellent footballers, so let's not destroy our fantastic reputations no. for being state players. And Nat, That's you made it. it into the All-Australian, so don't put yourself down. No, and no, no. Achievement thanks to your good left foot goal kicking. I That's think we the kicked, one. How many goals did we get? Maybe three or something? <sighs> Look. We certainly, it was, it was a bit of shock to the system at that first Nationals, wasn't it? But New South Wales certainly learnt from that straight up. The first year we played, realised the standard had to be, and we brought that back to the competition, we didn't did. we? And every year it improved. improved. And those National Championships were incredibly important. So not only were they great for learning about football. So when I was down at the AFLW um, Grand Final on the weekend and Everyone in your role saying, as the ambassador, is that yes, right? Yes. Good on you. Congratulations. New South Wales. Um, it was so nice because it took me back to those days where we caught up with people from across the country and talked about women's footy. And you learnt so much from them. And as everyone was saying, oh, I know her, I played football with her. And then Debbie Lee got up and presented something and I went, I played football with her. And, um, you know, not only did we learn about football on the field and getting thumped by, you know, Victoria 150 to 2 or whatever it was, were are some of my favourite football memories. But we also really formed a national alliance that um, pushed the AFL to take um, women's football seriously at a national level. And I've actually found emails where we wrote to them. We had a meeting down there um, in 2003. I think Helen Swan and myself went down from Sydney and, you know, Debbie Lee and... Nicole Graves and there were various people there who influenced football from around the country and um, they were quite shocked and we pushed them hard um, and I should, oh look, oh, one of the, we were battling a change in culture and so there was old culture in the room and there was new and there was all these guys photos around the, around the sort of room, it was very prestigious down in the AFL house and we said, we want to have an exhibition game before um, an AFL game. And they said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And the old guy said, oh, well, as long as that doesn't, well, we could do that as long as it doesn't include any scrubbers with tats, which was a bit of a problem because it was That's quite... half the comp. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but the others in the room took it seriously. And actually, I think Dean Warren was there. He's up in Queensland now. And Dave Matthews was 
took over and he's the Giants um, CEO. And I've got a letter actually to Dean that to um, Dave, and it spells out what we thought should happen back in 2003 or four. And it says all the things they've done, get pathways for girls, you know, um, um, put on a women's football sort of organiser, um, have exhibition matches, move towards a national competition. And, you know, they listened to us and kind of did it and we were right. And this is where we are now. And, but that's sort of taken 15 years, has it been, or something? It was been a long, slow burn to get to that level, but it's involved work by yourself and other people Lots of your of standing. People. Yeah, to get it to there. Um, so they've been, you know, they've let it seep in slowly at the AFL. But um, so standing on the ground at the AFL grand final last weekend, you actually carried the cup out onto the field. Is that right? No, I didn't. But um I was there when, when um, so Jamie Howe carried it out. but And I, I'm very glad because I would have been so nervous. I think that would have been the worst job on the whole day. Because <laughs> tripping over with a cup would not have... Wouldn't have looked good on no, TV. No. Fair enough. I was very well, happy then, to... Would you have yeah. expected 21 years ago out at Pick and Oval or at, you know, Wagner Oval, wherever we played some of those games, could you have envisaged back then your role or what you were doing on that day 21 years later? Look... I always get really emotional when I stand out there and see women running out to those kind of great footy grounds and being cheered on and being professional. Um, you know, I rushed down at the last minute to be at the very first game. Um, and, you know, it kind of, it, I can't explain the feeling it gives you to be there. Am I surprised? No, I kind of always thought that's what it should be. And in fact, it sounds ridiculous now to say that women didn't play football. 20 years ago I mean it just sounds yeah it sounds so silly if people if women are playing football in Moree well like how could they not have been if how could if people are playing football in women are playing football in Moree now how can they not have been playing in Sydney back then and I mean it you know I so I'm, I'm not surprised at all I just am I guess personally I wish we didn't have to um, fight so hard to make it happen. I wish it was part of my life growing up. Um, having said that, I also recognise that we had a damn good time and way less scrutiny and probably better parties. Um. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, well, how about I'll just throw a couple of little things at you and you can just tell me your first thoughts. Ron Barassi. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> had, to had a good night. When he was the um, the patron of the two thousand and two nationals, um, and you know he was there for us, so good on him. He was a good guy. He, he enjoyed himself. Um, and the national presentation night, we actually held at sort of one of the local gay bars because we didn't really to host a big function like that. We didn't know where to go or what to do, and we were so disorganised. I really don't know how we end up hosting it, but it was very successful, wasn't it? It was actually did pretty well, but we were just making things up on the run almost. And we were we? totally, and we would get, we were, because it was sort of the frontier, anything went. So in actual fact, the 1999 National Championships in WA, which I played in with a, the ACT, was sponsored by, um, you know, Langtree's Executive Playground. Shouldn't mention sponsors, but hopefully they've <laughs> gone out of business, which were in fact a brothel. And the West Australian women were called the Wicked Women. And it sounds horrendous, but we just got whatever we could to make us be able to, to play. play football so yeah. we may well have had um 
you know, the, the national presentation at Caesars because they came on board, which was the gay nightclub for the 2002 <laughs> national presentation. But we also had, um, you know, functions in at New South Wales Parliament House um, with Tony Thanks Lockett. Thanks to you. Yes, so, that was true, yeah. So, you know, we were just very resourceful and I actually think we were amazing. Yeah, no, that is true. I, I think we were too. Um, they go on now about all the cross-coders who were playing the game, but we had our own cross-coders, didn't we, back in the day? Yeah, we what had about, Tasha, uh, Tasha Gale, yeah. who the um, the NRL Best and Fairest is named after now. From Rugby and League. Rugby League, yep. Yeah, and represented Australia. What about Moya Dodd? Great soccer player and a fantastic advocate for women's footy um, and women's soccer. Yeah. Um, um, and... We had Kim Harper, who went to the Olympics in the hockey. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, about her. I had um, Lou Fleming, uh, oh, Australian tennis, tennis player. player, still involved with our commentary work even to this day. Um, and funny and as. True. Funny. She was. She hosted at one of our mm -hmm. first presos, didn't she? And um, down at West, you had Marie Keating. Now, I don't know uh, the Irish. Um, did she play Gaelic or represent Gaelic? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we had them all in the early days. So there's nothing new about any of those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah. Do you think the um, the girls who are now playing and running around on TV and getting a wage and things like that, they could understand that one of the things we used to have to do was um, before a match is do basically a dog poo check or a syringe oh, no. check? <laughs> I don't know if they know about that. But they may well. I mean, it's interesting, you know, going down there, and just, you know, um, representing, I guess, the old guard, um, I really discovered how respectful those women are of, of what we um, as created. Like, I don't think they have forgotten that history. And you do often hear those women say, you know, I'm glad that we're doing this for all of those women that went before us who didn't get to. I, I really feel women are good at remembering um, the fight and also, to be honest, they still haven't, the fight isn't over, you know. So yeah. um, someone asked me the other day, do you think um, that those young women will forget where they've come from? And I said, I, I don't believe so. I think, you know, there's a lot to learn from the people, the sort of pioneers. Um, we have different We have different pressures. We had to make do with what we had. They have to ask for me for permission we never asked for permission to do anything because you know basically no one believed we were going to do it so there's a sort of there was a sort of freedom back then um so the pressures have changed but they're still very much at the heart of um equality for women in um sport um and you know i think i feel like you know particularly the weekend really proved that to me it was quite it was quite yeah awesome Good, good on you. Um, do you wish that you were young and able to play now, professional yeah, or semi-professionally? Do you know. wish you could be on TV? <laughs> I don't know that it's about being on TV. You know, the moment that really got me this season was seeing Alice Burke with a dad. So, you know, um, they were embracing after the um, St Kilda um, Western Bulldogs. Western game. Bulldogs, yep. And he looks so happy and she looks so happy. And I thought it just really... Um, made sense to me thinking back as a teenager and it wasn't AFL it was it was rugby union and rugby league that's what my family played but they're all Parramatta and I kind of I suddenly realized what I wanted to be able to do was what my family did which was play footy for Parramatta and I couldn't do that and I think that moment for me tells the story of our struggle um, 
And I also think at that moment was probably when every old bloke who didn't think, who don't, doesn't think it's okay for women to play football, when their heart melted. Um, and and I keep hearing these stories from, you know, so one of the legends of the game who's involved with the Gunnedah um, Bulldogs in an interview recently said, the best thing that's happened for football is women playing the game. And this is an old bloke who's played footy yeah. in some pretty, you know, kind of tough Rough. old footy clubs. Oh. Yeah, he played for the West Western Suburbs as well. So, you know, I think it's transforming the game. And I think, you know, you talk about footy in New South Wales, I think it's about 30% um, of players now um, in the senior level in Sydney are women. Um, I think it'll be 50%. Um, And I think if we're talking about growing the code in our state and leading the way, I think the, you know, I think the Swans can't come into the competition quickly enough. I think getting, you know, getting those young players that are coming through the Swans Academy in challenging the Giants, but also um, inputting into the club cultures amongst our, um, you know, um, local clubs will um, really move football forward. And having two women's teams here in Sydney will certainly encourage the interstate players to come up here if the culture gets bigger and better and facilities are improved. They're keener to move interstate then, aren't they? And And that would certainly help. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it's just so difficult being a part-time footy player in a national competition. I just, I think that's so challenging. And Sydney's a difficult city to put your roots down and, you know, make money in and survive. Like we we know that. Um, I think, you know, look, I think there is a way to go. I think we need to start thinking about things like um, culture is key. Clubs have got to have a good culture. Local clubs have got to have a good culture. That's where women want to play. I'm not in love with the point system in Sydney. I think it's a distraction, but I do think the AFL nationally, and and I think there's people within the New South Wales AFL that are talking about the importance of coaches, the importance of women administrators. We've got two women presidents um, now in Sydney. Um, And so I do do think we've got a way to go, but you know, if Brisbane can win a grand final, um, there's nothing to say that that Sydney can't and and you know change can happen pretty quickly. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful for um where the league's going um at the moment. Well, that's good to hear. Do you think uh, the Sydney comp needs to align with the AFLW competition so that there's there's somewhere for the players to drop down to if yeah. they get dropped? Yeah, they're the only uh, state not to have done that. I think that's right. That certainly that's what some of the Giants players were saying that it's good to have that um that kind of um, second tier competition so that if you're not playing you get the match experience yeah um and look for me I think that's really interesting this sort of overlapping scenario that's coming out of the timing of the AFLW I think it, it's going to work I think the season probably starts too early for the AFLW women but I don't mind it finishing kind of part way through I mean even if we move the season forward a little bit so there's a bit of overlap um I think that's probably the right way to go. But you think it's in good hands, the competition up here in Sydney? Look, I think it's improving very quickly. And the fact that it's so volatile, I mean, I think, you know, people are going, oh, you need to fix this, you need to fix that. Well, it'll actually work itself out. Um, it's so volatile that you can't really predict what's going to happen. I mean, um, 
Manly was a brand new team into the grand final, won it. West, to be honest with you, were pretty hopeless, finished really low down um, the year before last. Last year ended up being fifth, played our way through to the grand final. Um, and the two top teams, East and, um, East and Macquarie Uni, you know, fell apart. So um, there's so much volatility that you really just have to let things work through. Um, not, not try and that's why I don't think the points work, the points play point system work. It's not fair for players. They don't understand it. They don't understand why they can't be on the field or why they're worth this. They're not getting paid. It's not like a salary yep. can't negotiate. What players are doing is choosing clubs where they feel comfortable, where they feel that the coaching's good, where the culture's good. Um, and I think that's where you'll see a lot of um, improvement in football generally. That's what I want to see anyway. I want to see clubs where women want to play football. Yeah, and the more, the merrier as well. Yeah, the yeah. more, the, yeah. <laughs> Well, look, we better wrap it up. Next time we should probably uh, have a chat over a beer and reminisce about how good we used to be. So uh, we, we better wrap good. it up there. Good on you. Cheers, Vede, for uh, joining us. And, um, yeah, uh, keep on getting amongst that footy club of yours and those boys of yours. You're going to be tied to the club for years to come if they're only 14 now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to retire up to the North Coast eventually, I hope. Run away. <laughs> I'll, Good um, on you. I'll coach the North, the Nambucca Rams or something like that. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> Whatever. You can, you can just start a new team. You know how to do it. Good on you, Veto. Cheers. Appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks, Thanks. Matt. See ya. Good on you, matey. Bye-bye. Bye. Giants AFLW coach Ellen cool. McConnell, welcome to the Coat Hanger. Hi, Fiona. How are you going? Really good, thanks. Um, so we had a few devastating losses in, in this season. Um, and the the move to Hubs, um, first to Albury, and then the move to Adelaide. And obviously before all of that, the, the loss of Jacinda Barclay. Was the season um, disappointing for you or did you did you expect the players to struggle for the for the nine rounds? Um, no, it was frustrating. I would say is how I would um, sum it up. Um, I think uh, I think we sort of uh, we're a bit rudderless early in the season. You know, um, uh, we came up against two of the very very good teams in the competition early days when we were probably um, at our least prepared um, on the back of um, a whole range of issues, um, including COVID and hubs and. Um, indecision around um, where we we're going to be, um, which probably compromised uh, in our lead up to round one, maybe four or five weeks of training um, where we either lost the session altogether or um, it was somewhat compromised. So, um, um, you know, I, I thought, I thought our um, performance in round one, given all of the circumstances was pretty good, but, um, uh, you know, our inconsistency, you know, our, our inability to play good footy for long periods of the game is the thing that um, right, sticks with me most over the season, um, despite the fact that there's a whole range of things that you might look to want to um, point the finger at as being the cause. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so so the loss of Jacinda Barclay was devastating for many, including us here at the Code Hanger. Has her loss made a difference to the culture in the team in terms of player welfare, players checking in on, on each other? 
Um, actually, um, from my perspective, um, no, they may think differently to that, but my, from my perspective, no, because I've always felt that we've been particularly strong in that place. I think we've led the competition through with our appointment of Goldwatts, our, our um, head of welfare, um, you know, with the background and the experience that she brings to that position. And I think a lot of other teams across the competition have looked to try and emulate what we have done in that space. So, um, you know, um, that, that doesn't mean we haven't looked to do things a little bit differently and we haven't had to engage other expertise, but um, I've always felt we've been pretty much to the fore in that, in that regard, so, you know, relative to the rest of the competition. Yeah. Um, and so with, with, with players like um, Shani Layton now retiring and saying it's due to the lack of a living wage, um, just uh, doing a callback to one of Cinder's um, phrases, do you think it's time the league considered Cinder's question, what's wrong with 200,000? <laughs> yes, well, um, um, uh, I don't think we're quite ready for 200,000. Um, um, and um, I think this this whole question goes hands in, in glove with what's next, um, really. Um, and how fast is what ne is what's next? Um, so, you know, if you, if you look at the expansion right now, there's, you know, which is clearly on the cards in, you know, going forward, um, four extra teams and clearly another team in this marketplace. Um, and I think each of the, each of the expand, new expansion teams will have its own issues and challenges, but I think it's particularly challenging in this marketplace yes. while ever we have a compromised draft um, to find the level of talent that's going to be required. Um, and uh, and the only the only way we can have a um, an uncompromised draft is to have um, have full time salaries. Yes. And I think my view would be that full time salaries will go hand in glove with um, eighteen teams and and also um, a full blown um, eighteen round competition. Um, so there are there are a whole myriad of um, topics you could spend an entire podcast on in sure. that answer <laughs> all on that all on their own um as to which comes first and why and how and um um well and even that, uh, taking really... it sorry taking out that cheekiness of the of the figure it is a very much a chicken and egg question isn't it it's a circular it's a circular uh, argument because uh until the um until we expand we can't go for that full-time wage. There's a delay on expansion. Um, people are saying, let's wait, let's wait until the talent's there. Will the talent be there before there's full-time employment? Uh, yeah, and on and on. Well, that, and that only really addresses the issue in relation to the playing group because right now we trade on goodwill for staff. That's how it is. Um, and the hub situation um, magnified that um, that I'll highlight of that point uh, yeah. really, really significantly. Um, and I don't think was um, yeah, um, uh, fully understood by those who weren't involved in it. To be so you had honest. to leave some, some staff behind in Sydney, didn't you? Because they couldn't move? Well, it, we played a practice match the day after we arrived in Adelaide. Um, and we had six staff on our team sheet who knew our players. Right, and the opposition had twenty three. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, um, our runner was somebody's girlfriend because right. yes. the, the rules don't allow you to play, uh, use um, use injured players, of which we had a couple who could, would have fitted the bill. Um, but the uh. reality is yeah, people need to pay the bills, make livings. Um, um, most of our staff, um, you know, have family commitments, you know, uh, not just work commitments. Um, we're, we're, we're probably quite unique in that um, our team, um, because we do come a bit from all over, um, is was probably demographically best suited to be the team who went into a hub. Um, but um, from a staff perspective, you know, um, we changed coaches four times in two weeks. Yeah. Um, in fact, in fact um, over the course of January and the first week of February, um, we appointed coaches in Victoria in, in the Gold Coast and then eventually in Adelaide um, because right. our coach couldn't go. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, it, um, and then when we did get back to Sydney, um, we spent a week in Sydney before we played Adelaide and uh, our coaches couldn't join us because we were in lockdown. We were considered dirty. So, in fact, even though we were home, our, our opposition had a better preparation than we did. <laughs> Uh, even though they're in a different state, um, yeah. because their coaches all came with them. Right, and they so, were in the same bubble. Yeah, goodness yeah. me. Yeah, so our, our coaches joined us the night before the game. It's the first time they'd seen our girls in five weeks. Jeez. So, yes. Um, um, so, and so, you know, I mean, that's relative to the hub, but I guess it, it um, you know, hand in glove with um, – with uh, a full-blown competition and player salaries um, will come the need for not just um, the, uh, the capacity to employ um, um, good people, um, but actually finding the, the quality that will substantiate that too, you know, which is, um, is all part of the growing pains that the competition's got to go through. Sure, yeah. And so talking about the the situation for for Sydney without the benefit of of unselected players able to drop into a summer type VFLW competition do you see a future in Sydney's prem comp moving to summer um, we've got no choice <laughs> it just is isn't it actually there yeah, there's no question about it <laughs> well um because the alternative to that is that our girls are going to have to fly into another state because right now we're we're at we're already at a disadvantage um, the, the actually the AFL doesn't talk about the Premier League as being a state league competition. They see it as a community level standard of football. Right. Um, and um, and um, and so our girls don't have anywhere to play when they don't get picked. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, you know. Well, so, uh, so and, looking. And that, and that, sorry. Yeah. It, well, it has all sorts of issues in terms of. Um, um, both um, both uh, nomination for draft pools, but also retention of players. Not yes. not just not just the development of our players. You know, um, we we dropped girls who then didn't get games for three weeks, and they're looking for feedback about how to get back in the team. And three weeks down the track, they're looking for something different, but there is nothing different to tell them because they haven't played for three weeks. Yeah, well, they've yeah. either addressed they've either looked to address what we've spoken about in training. Um, or um, and that's it. That's the only opportunity they have to uh, um, to move forward. So um, yeah, it's um, 
it's a it's a big it's a big challenge. But and if like if you look at expansion, um, you know, if you historically the you know, the the existing team in an expansion market probably loses five or six players to the expansion team. Yeah. And um, so that would suggest we've probably got, and then we you might lose a couple because you've decided they're not quite good enough. Yeah. So we probably have to find thirty five players in this marketplace when we eventually expand. Um, well, under the current r- r- rules, um, they won't be coming from interstate unless they're marquee style players who are getting money outside of the soft cap. Yes. Sorry, outside of the salary cap. Um, and so therefore they have to come out of this marketplace. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I can assure you, I've watched our national championships in the last, in this last week and I've, you know, um, seen five, um, state league, uh, premiers, premier league, um, women's games already this season. We don't have 35 players in this marketplace. We don't yeah. even have remotely 35 players that yeah. are ready to play, um, in this marketplace. And if you look at, we, we've actually certainly drafted more women out of Sydney, uh, ACT, New South Wales in the last couple of years, but it's been on the back of investing in those girls for three years in our winter programs. Yes. Yeah. So I've got a few questions around that. Uh, what about, um, I think the Giants were looking at a VFLW license um, uh, and there were the exhibition games in the comp. Uh, how long ago was it now? It must have been 2019. Um, yes. Is there the possibility of aligning with an independent Victorian club like Richmond has done with Port Melbourne? Um, yeah, look, there are possibilities in that place. The problem is that if you actually invite a girl to come to Sydney and then send her, send her back to Melbourne for winter, you're actually saying, well, we actually can't cater for you here. Yes. Which in, then invites every other club in the country to say, "Well, let's target these girls, and we'll we'll um, we'll look to convince them to come and back back and play with us." So, as a retention, as a long term um, retention strategy, and a, and the development of football in this marketplace, it's it's un it's un, an untenable answer in the long term. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't need we shouldn't go there in the short term but it's fraught with danger in the long term. We just simply need to invest in what we've got in this, in this space. Yeah, yep. Uh, on to happier <laughs> subject <laughs> well, matter. Look, you know, it, yeah, look it's, it's a challenge. And look, some of that investment requires money, but yep. some of it requires time and expertise. Sure. And so, so do you see, um, I mean, yeah, time, expertise, investment. Um, what do you, what do they, what needs to change in the Sydney comp? Uh, the, the, the level of coaching um, uh, and, and the capacity to develop players. Um, look, our talent pathway now is becoming more refined and the, the establishment of the two academies is a great initiative. You know, um, the Swans have been in that marketplace now for a long time. And, yes. um, um, uh, and, um, and I think they would say that many of the girls who, who they've got now in their academy weren't the ones they started with, which is a bit what it's like here in New South Wales. Because if you go to a state league game in round one, 
and watch a girl play and you go in round five and watch the same team. There's different girls playing and you go, well, where do they come? Well, actually, she's just, she just came to training this week for the first time. <laughs> so um, so it, it, it literally does change that quickly in this marketplace, you know. Um, um, but, um, you know, the, the academies is a great start and we need to build on that. But if we think the, the other problem we have with expansion is that the game has moved so much in the last two years. The gap between those on lists and those off lists has become 25% larger. But um, for the girls, once they've left um, the under 18 talent pathway, unless our club has engaged in their development, they're not getting any development. Yeah. So how, um, how we come up with 35 players to have two teams in this marketplace that are that are going to be uh, somewhat competitive um, is a bit of a mystery. Yes, yes, indeed. So we're recording this this uh, interview on the day after the uh, best and fairest, the W Awards. Um, yes. In happy news, Elise Parker is was equal third best and fairest. And she uh, got well, so, so there's two winners and I, I would consider it to be a runner up because on votes, she, she gets one more vote. She's, and I think under the old system, you might say, I would say she's a runner up, but right. anyway, amazing performance. Um, no, no, no arguments from, from me or from us. <laughs> 20, 20 year old, two time all Australian already. Um, yeah. Um, and the sky's the limit really, because she's a very driven kid um, and still growing into her own uh, into her own space if you like you know as a, as a human um, yep. as a young woman and um, um, yeah there's lots more growth to come yeah so the it looked like the it looked like the team had a a, a great night and uh, yes. some may have stayed out quite late um, now I, I do believe it was Alicia Eva had a, a Instagram live last night and she she mentioned some re-signings can you give us a scoop about any re-signings I can't remember who she was pointing to but there was there was some news Alan can you can you give us something well the answer is no okay (laughs) right now now the um right now the AFL uh haven't even set a date for re-signings they they postponed they 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 indicated that there was going to be a date at the end of the month but which, which is right now being parked whilst the commission considers um, issues in relation to um, uh, compensation for those teams who didn't perform so well in the season like just gone and, and other issues that we're not quite sure about. So right now there's no date for the sign and trade period to commence. So there are no contracts in place other than that those girls who've actually got two-year deals. Right, right. Okay. So she was... Uh, Sorry about uh, that. No, that's all right. No, I actually thought there was some news, but maybe she was just um, just presenting what was known as news. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, um, or you had, Alan, a, a very close connection with Fitzroy Fo- Football Club before they moved to Brisbane. Did you have maybe the teeniest, tiniest cheer for the Lions uh, win in the grand final? Um, I was pleased. Um, uh, Nah, not not from that perspective. <laughs> um, I, I was I was pleased. I think it was good that another team's won the won the premiership. I thought it was a great game. Um, um, you know they they've clearly got their act together up there, Brisbane. You know with the 
turnover of players they've had in the last couple of years. It's an exceptional, exceptional performance. Um, yeah. And um, and they should be very proud of what they've done, and I'm sure they are. And um, they should celebrate. And I, I actually sent a message to Craig Stasevich, who, who wanted to talk about his players, but when I tried to get him to reflect on his own part in it all, he, he wouldn't go there. So, um, yeah, it's, right. it's interesting. <laughs> Very generous stance. Um, finally, recently we saw uh, in the media news of Steve Simon signing on at Collingwood for another two years. Will we yep. see a similar announcement from Giants soon? I don't know, but ask them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll know when they let you know. <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a the, the women's game is a space where um those that get involved um get hooked by the passion and the energy and the enthusiasm it comes with its share of dramas and challenges but um it's um it's a great space to work in yeah well it's great to have you at the helm at uh, at giants and uh alan mcconnell thank you very much for your time today yes okay see you Cheers, bye, bye. Um, this week, I've had the chance to catch up with Catherine Hull. Uh, Catherine is a long-term player in the Sydney AFL and a coach um, and, uh, and is talking to us today about the state of footy in Sydney and New South Wales. How are you going, Catherine? Hi, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, that's, that's okay. Thanks for being here. I wonder if you could just for the listeners paint a bit of a picture about your current involvement in footy. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I'm uh, playing uh, and assistant coach in reserves at uh, Southern Power a, uh, women's team in their program. Um, it's the first time that I've helped out with the seniors in that capacity. Um, also the coaching coordinator with our youth girls program and looking after the under 16 Steve one team. Uh, I also am a Swans Academy coach down in Sydney South and have looked after the first top end um female program with the Swans uh, this year. So that's been exciting as an assistant coach there with um, Jared Crouch and uh, Nick Davis. So it's been really good. Sensational. You've got your dance card full, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's fantastic. And it's fantastic to see your continued uh, love of the game and also to really recognise your contribution to the game, Huggies. It's been, um, it's been a long journey um, and uh, it's fantastic to see you getting involved in, in the coaching side. So I wonder um, how you would describe the current kind of women's competition, the Premier Division competition in Sydney AFL, um, you know, maybe reflect on some of the gains or improvements and, and also some of the gaps and opportunities that, that might exist yeah well I mean it is today's what we're seeing in 2021 uh it, it is still developing but we have to also look at where we've come from um if we go back to when I first started in goodness me uh 2007 I think we were in the seventh or eighth team in the one division in Sydney um in the women's program so now we've got uh I think this year we've actually got a div four uh competition um in the women's program in sydney afl so that's five divisions and so with the numbers we are getting better quality uh all the way up and there's a place for everybody everyone's getting more even games every week um and and 
there's less of a gap between the top and, and the bottom of each division. And you're seeing that now that so, so the quality teams are playing a, a better brand of football consistently against better opponents. So I think that's giving a lot more girls, not just ones through academy programs, um, real quality game experience week in, week out. Uh, it's still, as I said, it's, I think it's still developing um, from, not just from the skills perspective, but just the whole female footy, where it's fitting in, the logistics. Yes, we've got huge um, soaring numbers, uh, but that's coming with its own logistical problems and yeah, some of the some challenges yeah around the numbers right because facilities has always been an issue in Sydney yeah. um, and, and coaching I think is another is would you agree with that coaching is a little bit of a challenge as well yeah and and that's I, I, I've seen attempts I think um, of, of setting up programs or offering uh, some training and development um, or developing opportunities for coaches. Uh, those attempts, I don't think, have necessarily been utilised. Uh, and everyone's a volunteer. I think there's probably some egos and stuff involved as well. If not, I don't need any <laughs> development. I know everything. But um, there's also just finding something that works. Yes, 2020 was a write-off with COVID, but some things have been hit and miss. Uh, I don't think I've attended some of these and I think they've been of value and of use, but again, it's just, we've got to look at, well, what we want to help everybody, but what are people putting their hand up for? Um, what are they available for? Not just from a learning and educational experience, but from a time perspective, everyone's time poor. Everyone's trying to get training in. Everyone's trying to get the games in their trials and, and all the admin and everything, um, and plus all their life and family and all, all of that. But at the same time, we've got to invest in it and still find what works and have different options to develop those coaches and not just the generic coaches or, or from, um, you know, from Premier Division to juniors. But I think we really have to look at um, those female coaches now, like local coaches, and we can even attract some as well. Just getting, I mean, I know from one of, one of my favorite coaches through the um, academy program and <laughs> on the line right now like just that's a real that it, it is a real role model and it's just a different way of thinking but at the same time there's so much um I think they can just add so much more and I'm finding that in, in my various coaching roles that I've had for youth girls and even now in seniors uh I don't know what directly it's from whether it's a confidence that sorry that there's um fewer numbers if it's like a confidence thing is it experience is there no opportunities is it sort of stigma of female coaches I'm not sure is it a, a combination of all of that but I think that's definitely something um not just Premier Division, but um, footy, female footy and um, football in general in Sydney yeah. can definitely work on. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I've, I've always felt um, there's probably a lack of strategy around that from the governing body in terms of, you know, a cohesive strategy. Um, and it's sad that, you know, I was hoping that, you know, that I'd hear that something's begun. But I think you're right. I think it's piecemeal um, mm. and perhaps not that strategic. So um, I, I guess that leads us to the next question about club footy. Uh, 
having not been involved for a couple of years, are you seeing the use of game data and game review more in the Premier Division now, or is that something that still needs to be developed and, and um, you know, the sorts of things like the equipment and the programs in order to do that analysis and the skills in analysing games? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think we've seen in the last couple of years and um, with the footage and, and uh, Sydney AFL getting down there and and actually getting reasonable um, footage of the game and the quality. Um, but outside of that, I don't think we as a club have utilised much. Um, I know, and I've really, I'm really excited by it. I'm a bit of a nerd and I did exercise science. I'm an EP exercise physiologist. So I, I love that side of things not just from a coaching perspective but um, I've seen more of that through the academy program and I it's I think the value add in it from a player's perspective is just it's got to be utilized it's such a great tool um but sort of as you said touched on it's an educational thing and on getting everybody to be able to use it but then just having it full stop it's a money and a uh it's a money thing like it's it costs money to set up but it's again more time and effort and facilities um required to be able to to set something up in each home ground but I guess that's the requirement of of having that premier division club is is being able to set some of that stuff up yeah it's a big jump isn't it to from Mm. if you compare premier women's division to the giants um you know which is I suppose for uh you know um age over 18 female players who are playing women's premier division and don't have exposure to that to improve their game quality. Um, And then suddenly if they did get the opportunity, for example, to be at the Giants to suddenly unveil all of that opportunity that's around game analysis um, Mm -hmm. is like, it's, it's, it's a huge gap. It's like a massive chasm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess if you you look at coaching, who has science. any of the equipment? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, until and, and some of the men's premier division teams do, I know that, but the investment's mm. not there, and that comes back, I think, to your other discussion before about the investment in women's football and yeah. in um, coaching in order to, you know, what's all very well if you had equipment, but if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't really help either, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah so so yeah I was interested in that because I thought that teams may have been starting to use a little bit more uh, of the game analysis but my gut feel and from talking with you is probably confirms that there's probably not that much of it yeah I, I think it's again it's it could be what each club has access and invested in um we haven't yet uh but i think it's something that should and could be utilized because just my experience with the top end girls um at the swans this year and just w- reviewing that all on huddle and and actually going through plays by play but also mm. just hearing the coaches it's not commentary but just discussing the game um as if talking to the players like they don't get that opportunity live you know it's after every quarter but even you've forgotten what's happened obviously for the and you can't (laughs) go through everything with the girls but they just what they then would take out for the next week or even at the training session you could just see they're just all sitting there with massive sponges just wanting to learn more so and that's a great forum for them to do that they're getting um, they can just visually see what they have done and then getting the coach to explain what they 
could or should or or um, just ways to improve that is just a, such a great and effective tool um, and form of learning. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely um, should be uh, more utilised in club footy. We'll get there one day, but um, I think they're doing it well in the academy programs. Yeah, and, and it would be great to see it in the women's premier division because I really don't think that that gap will be met until that level of um, of investment is made in women's footy because yep. um, it, it you can't underestimate the power of it, as you said, of seeing back and played back and explained and seeing what you what players actually did or where they were standing or what they could have been doing or whatever the the, the teaching piece is. Um, so talking about a little bit more about your Swans Academy experience, which is fantastic. Um, I'd just say in, in the Swans Academy program, is the focus mainly on skills, although I'm hearing you talk about the game analysis at the top end, but through through the uh, age levels, is, it, is the focus mostly on skills at this point or or what what what's now mm. in the program, what's available to the players yeah. who are in the, in the yeah, academy? Yeah, we've um so I look after or I'm involved in the Sydney South uh program on Mondays uh and with the younger guys uh sort of the under 15s and 16s and they sort of um all the way sorry to the under 11s um and it is just skills 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 and and mm. as not as repetitive but as it might seem, oh, wow, there's such a strong focus on skills, but if you can't execute it going into a game, it's it, it does have to be brought back and stripped back to that that skill level because uh, that once they go to club land, the, as we've touched on before, the variety of coaches um, is, is huge and, and what mm. they're getting from a game perspective. But um, that skill, that focus, I think is so important. And then you're building on that, obviously, through drills and going um, – academy cups and, and game experiences and there is still that opportunity and progression but our uh, skills is still the main focus and mm. then once they get um as you're saying to the top end it's looking at okay well let's now that we're getting or we have that skill um fundamentals let's really work on our game plan and game style and and you can see that with the guys that got drafted um this year Mm. Their skill, they, they're being given the ball by experienced veterans on the, um, with the Swans because the way that they can, their precision with the ball is as, as you know, first year Swans players is just so valued that mm. they're being given the ball to do something with that. And that just shows that how strong, yes, how good that focus has been and how rewarding it is is that they're playing top end and still well the, you know professional footballers and and um their skill level is being noticed so that's exciting and um when we go back to the top end with the female program it was uh, our first year this year and with the under 19s nationals mm. um, that happened in Queensland maybe one or two weeks ago yeah in Melbourne in Melbourne yeah it was um, going to be in Queensland was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had to we've switched the program around with to the females and it was okay well we've got to play games quickly so let's get that um some, some more game style uh focus yep. The yep. and then we'll look at skills going into the rest of the year whereas the the um 
boys or the male program is sort of the flip side. With it concludes with the games, that yeah. doesn't it, with the champs, yeah. Great. And and so what, you know, both the Giants and Swans have academy pro, female academy programs now. Um, so how do you think this is impacting youth development across Sydney and New South Wales? I think it's 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 massive. Like I've, I can just look at from that top end, um, we had the girls oh, when they sort of, we had selections at the very end of last year and then coming into, was it late January, I think we started mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this year and we only had them for, you know, not even a couple of months before we played our first game mm. and then for the last game down in Geelong with the 19s, like their skills and their style of game and just how well they gelled, it was just so, you could just see how valuable it was and mm. what they got out of it. Like the coaches, not me, I mean, but like the coaches, the program <laughs> that they're being offered um, with the Swans is just amazing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it from my own development perspective. Right. Um, Jared Crouch and, and um, I've worked with Nick Davis for down in Sydney South for a while, but mm. like they're just, it's amazing the program um, and what they're teaching the girls. You can just see again, they're just sponges and enjoying it and just wanting, you know, why can't we do this every day? And, and then there's breaks in the program. And again, if we get out to facilities and, and we've got to get these girls out to Clubland and, and just all the other logistics. But what we could do with these top end girls. Mm. if we had more time or if they had more time in the program I think Mm. you know I mean that's a story probably with anyone you know if you could do more and and train more and and, on all that the improvement would be obviously be quicker and faster and better but yeah I think it's it's definitely um very effective I think the academy the effectiveness of academy programs um I guess as a player and I've had some coaching experience um as well as just feedback from players that mm. I think it's been here and there over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coming under the, uh, the giants and the swans, you, it's a, it, it's a lot more professional. Um, yeah. It's changed, hasn't it? It's, massive. it's definitely. Yeah. And I, I think, I guess they've got more resources uh, oh, right. to put into it. And so that's going to really impact it. So, so um have you got any hot picks from the under-19s who might be uh, drafted? And, and is there a direct pathway with the academies? Because the Swans obviously don't have a team yet. Um, with the academies, you know, to the draft and any sort of process that's set up and or how are they feeding into or getting access to play women's premier division footy? Like, how does, is that just sort of up to the players to determine or are there, have they sort of established some protocols or methods I suppose Um, yeah to be honest none that I'm particularly aware of I understand that you know some of these under 19s again that I was involved with this year they're if they're not playing prems already Mm -hmm. they most of them are intending to and are this year Mm -hmm. Um, still even maybe in some of the under 17s just having access to the premier division clubs uh I'd I'd I'm not aware of any specific uh, program or or process uh, from getting them to junior footy to seniors. Like we're pretty lucky at Southern Power that we've had that. We've created our own pathway. Pathway, yeah. Um, it it was very 
difficult. Uh, if we look back to sort of when we were talking about this in 2013 to get junior clubs involved, that's the only reason why we started it ourselves back then because mm-hmm. no one wanted to, women's footy wasn't trending like it is today and it involved mm-hmm. a lot more risks from other clubs to yep. get involved. Yep. Uh, even though I was putting my hand up as coach and Lauren Hodgson was putting her head up, hands up as, as manager, it was still very unknown and a lot more risky. Um, and smaller and, and new. So it, it's obviously changed in the last eight years or whatever it is since then. But um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, we've been lucky that these girls have come through to, to us and that's been our pathway. Um, mm, and credit to you and the, the rest of the club huggies to establish that and to actually make it a successful pathway because it's not easy to do. Oh, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, you know, but yeah. Mm. I think the um the school, the private school program north, I don't know, I can't remember what it's called. That's been a great success, and a lot of the junior clubs and now senior clubs are seeing um the reward of that of getting girls um new to football playing their first years and under 16s because of the school program um yeah okay that's been huge in numbers uh and i guess with female sport full stop of we've got to retain those girls to those 16s and 18s we see a lot of uh, youth participation in sport um just dropping off there so we've got to make sure that we're working out creating that safe and comfortable environment for them because not everyone's ready to play senior footy at 18 or or, you know if they're still turning 18 that year so we want to make sure that we keep them and keep a strong and comfortable under 18s competition but then at the same time those that want are seeking that challenge to play premier division footy are wanting to play prems and I know that that was something that we struggled with Um, we've got I think there's four or five power girls involved in the under 19s program uh, this year with the Swans and and they all last year, you know, had come off back to back under 18s, Div 1 premierships and and Mm. then half the team was then obviously too, too old to, to play youth girls anymore and have moved up and then, but the other half were still sort of left behind and these girls are, you know, that, they've played footy for, for years and have that experience, but wanting to, to play. So then therefore wanting to progress to Premier Division, but then the youth girls competition, that meant that people missed out. They weren't ready to play senior footy, but then they couldn't play. There was no opportunity then for under 18s because we didn't have the numbers. And that was something mm-hmm. I was aware of with um, Sydney AFL full stop across. And I know they get this with the men, the boys as well. It's just it, all the top top players in under 18s wanting to play prems and yep. it just means that that under 18s div one comp just isn't as consistently strong yeah that makes sense and i i hear there's a move to align to other um states and and to the national nab uh program uh to move the under 18s to under 19s or 19s like the old colts is that um you got any thoughts on that not sure it could go could go either way or just push the push that back 12 months like um as you said to align with um uh the nab and and the, the way that they've set up the uh, men's as well with the under 19s boys mm. but um it, i think we'd still have that problem of then you're 
not forcing, but we've got 19 year olds that are wanting to play Premier Division footy. And, and so that's, I don't know if that is going to help this help, help it at all. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see, to be honest, because I think um, from a female development perspective, we physically develop, uh, you know, we're, we're Later. a or 14, 15, I think the mm. females sort of were a bit earlier from, you know, men get bigger. And so we sort of reached our physical capacity sort of by the 16s and definitely by under 18s. So it's it's not that, it's just more of the other, you know, logistics of life. Of they're ch- changing from HSE to, to study or, or and or mm. and or work, work or, commitments. Yeah. And, life as I said and and yeah I'm not sure actually I it will be interesting I I don't see it necessarily helping that specific um predicament but we can see Hmm. stand by I think (laughs) okay stand by stand by for some research yeah very good um so I guess a few closing bit of a closing question um Uh, the Giants uh, finished only above the expansion teams this year, which I guess is disappointing from a New South Wales perspective. Queen, um, the Lions, just well, my team, just won the uh, <laughs> just won the premiership with seventy eight percent of local talent. Um, what do you think might strengthen the New South Wales Sydney footy um, and and in turn improve performance at the AFLW? level let's say you've got a magic wand or something like what would be the couple of things that you think could make a big difference I think if we look across where the rest of the country is at um I think we have to be a bit patient um Mm -hmm. with the expectation of our local products producing that um from female local products like we've seen the fruits of the academy programs if it can be a bit biased with the swans coming Mm. through as we mentioned before um Mm. going straight into the seniors program and getting drafted but i we're still up to completing that pathway with the swans yeah girls that have been there from day dot you know they're 16 this year yep um and they're in their maybe that's their fourth year of the Mm -hmm. program um and so that's another two years away then before these girls are up to be drafted so Mm -hmm. we're looking at another two years to see that quality come through Mm -hmm. um again a bit biased but from the swans perspective um to be drafted from the depth and and i think if we're looking at time frames I'm, i haven't i'm doing this completely unofficially like when when will sydney put a second team in mm. um and that's the idea of starting those girls back whenever that was four or five years ago mm, four, to, to bring think, them yeah. up yeah to to they'll be ready to be drafted in our first team but um yeah I think as I was saying like I think it's a bit of patience um further investment as we've we've touched on before um and prioritizing still I know that it has been and it is um prioritized to an extent um or getting a better priority um with AFL in New South Mm. Wales um, with female footy and just the trust that it, it is going to happen and we, we can and will get there. Um, I know that a lot of, well, not a lot, but female footballers still go down to the VFL to to 
mm-hmm. play a better brand of football down there in the winter and even some of the Giants girls um, and we're getting the girls from interstate. And, but that's just like that's if we look across seniors as well, that's what happens with the men's. So we've also got to understand that it's not just a female football problem um, mm-hmm. and, and we're, we are doing things correctly, but we also started a lot later. So we've mm-hmm. got to be patient. Uh, we'll catch up a lot quicker um, and, and I guess not give up or, or not expect um, things to n- not work out straight away. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely heading in the right direction um, from the, the football that we played or I played when we first joined it was it's definitely improving a lot and year mm. to year you just see that yes I get older every year but you know it, it's <laughs> getting faster and those girls that have are completing their pathway playing youth girls footy and coming if not straight into um premier division they're coming into to senior footy with the the skill foundation or at least experience of being of playing football for a couple of years is is definitely different to the brand of footy we were playing yeah, yeah, 100%. I did, just as my last question, um, in the Sydney competition f- four years ago, went to 16 and five years ago, went to 16 aside as soon as the AFLW was announced. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, actually, we played our um, academy games 18 aside. Um, pros and cons, like I do understand why it was introduced. Um, and I think it's been effective to an extent, but at the same time, I don't see a problem going back to 18 um, from Sydney, Sydney re, um, wide. Like, and, and, mm. and, you know, from a coaching perspective, I think there are pros and cons, but there are some real pros for 18 aside, I think in strategy, for example, switching the ball, very hard to do with six cent. Like you just can't have the numbers behind the ball if you've got to also have numbers forward. It's become strategically, um, as Alan McConnell used to describe it, athletics. So it comes down to athletics mm-hmm. rather than necessarily um, strategy because the players are running, you know, in that short amount of time, running super numbers of Ks. Um, but yeah, it's, an it's, interesting, it's an interesting yeah. um, dilemma. It is, and especially um, as you sort of touched on, like it, it's they're running so much further with a less people on the field. But if we're also not, yes, we're developing our skills, but we also aren't kicking as far, and so exactly. there are more and there are more connections required. So it's correct. It's sort of is it? I can understand what they have tried to do, what they're trying to do by introducing the sixteen, but at the same time, it's creating it's more problems and yeah yeah so (laughs) yeah so I'm with you on the more problems well Huggies it's been a a fascinating conversation um thank you so much for giving us your insights um and for um you know for all that you're contributing to um AFL both in in the Sydney competition but also through the academy across the state and um can't wait to see what you're doing next but um yeah we look forward to keeping an eye on how you're progressing and how the academies progress uh and what happens next I guess for New South Wales and Sydney footy yeah it's definitely exciting uh exciting time and yes well I I I would love to have pulled out pulled on a Swans jersey in my prime but um I'm also 
happy with the part that I've played and can continue to play and contribute. And of course, I owe a bit of that to you. So again, thanks, Tracy, for your influence on <laughs> what I've done and continue to do. So yeah, thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks heaps, hugs. Have a uh, have a great uh, rest of the competition at the National Surfboat Champions Championships. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, we've been up here all week in um, on the Sunshine Coast and got a got a silver on Monday, but um, we bowed out in the normal round robin um, yesterday. So we're just here supporting um, the the rest of the crews from Allura Surf Club um, as they compete in the finals uh, tomorrow and Saturday. So you're just contributing to sport all round in the, oh, in the state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you have a great night and uh, thanks heaps for chatting to us. No worries. Thanks, Tracy. See ya. Bye. Hi there. You're continuing to listen to the Coat Hanger Footy Radio Show. And now we're having a chat with Jared Crouch, who everyone may know is an absolute legend for the Sydney Swans, he played 223 games and uh, I actually remember a time where he played 150 or his 150th match before missing a game. So he's got credibility on the field and he's been a coach off the field and certainly is now um, knee deep, perhaps, or waist deep trenched in the development stakes at the Sydney Swans Academy. Academy and he recently was the head coach of the under-19 girls allies team that came down to Melbourne for the carnival. Welcome to, sh to the show, Jared. No, thanks for having me. Fantastic. So you spent a week in Melbourne, which um, you're not even a Victorian. You're, you're actually from South Australia. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. But did the weather remind you of home or you've been in New South Wales for so long now? <laughs> I've, I've definitely been in New South Wales for too long uh, in terms of dealing with the cold. Uh, for me, it should only be cold when it's snowing. Um, the, no, look, it was a, a fantastic week down there in Melbourne with the Allies. It, it, I guess we, uh, <laughs> our uniforms were certainly um, dressed for the Gold Coast, which is where we were supposed to be, but uh, we managed to um, we managed to find a few tracky pants and a couple of extra layers to keep us warm in the in the um, in the the freshness that is Melbourne. Uh, but look for all the girls to get down there, um, you know, experience you know, the, the footballing town to be able to get to the MCG, see a game there as part of the experience was, um, was, uh, yeah, I guess makes up for, for missing the, the sun and the, and the beaches of the Gold Coast. Excellent. And so for those who aren't too sure, the Allies is a, um, I guess, a collaboration across the States, isn't it? Across, um, yeah. Yeah. So the, Wales. yeah. So the Allies Go. girls, yeah, sorry. The Allies girls and boys slightly vary. So, uh, in the girls, Queensland have their own side um, where uh, for the, so the, the girls are made up of the Swans Academy, Giants Academy, Tasmania and the Northern Territory. Uh, when we do the boys, they add the, the Gold Coast and the, and the Brisbane Academies into that mix. So essentially it's, you know, four, four groups coming together. Um, it is always challenging. As someone who did grow up in the, um, you know, the South Australian system, you essentially always started with, 30 or 40 of us and, you know, you whittle it down to your, you know, your, your best 25 or your best 25 side, which is a bit different. You know, we take the best players from, um, from each area and then try to meld them into a, into a team, which is, um, which can be challenging when you've, you know, you're trying to, as a head coach, you don't quite know, you don't know the players that well. And you're asking them, look, you know, they normally play 
all midfield minutes for your team. But look, can you go and play halfback for a little while? Can you go and play forward? But you know, the girls were um, the girls were sensational. Um, you know, we built on the week and um, you know, ended up with a good win to finish it. Excellent. And um, do you recall how many girls you have from New South Wales and ACT in that team? Uh, we had 14. Uh, yeah, 14. So there were, my maths correct? Yeah, so eight eight girls that, uh, from the Giants Academy and six from the Swans. Um, so, you know, as far as there's a, uh, one of the Giants girls who was our captain, Ali Morfitt, was from Wagga. A couple of girls from Canberra. Um, a couple of Giants girls from um, southwest of Sydney around the Campbelltown area. Um, I had uh, and each one of my, I say my girls, they're all my girls, so they're the allies I was coaching in, but the Swans girls were you know, North Shore, uh, Northern Beaches, we were Inner West, we were down, um, down in Wollongong, um, all the way up to April, who's up in uh, Coffs Harbour. So we, so I guess the, the, the pure New South Wales girls did come from um, literally everywhere. Excellent. And so so they're out of the Swans Academies, those ones you just named, the Swans Academy. So how often do they come and see you when they're at the academy? Yeah, so look, our academy's been, so for the boys, it's probably been in place for 10 years. It's probably in the last four years we've been building the girls' academy. And uh, pre-COVID, um, you know, we, we'd started with uh, under 13, uh, 12s, 11s, sorry, 12s and 13s, and each year we built another year, 14s, 15s. This year, our oldest girls were supposed to be 16, but because of COVID, we took over um, the, the older ages that used to be the domain of New South Wales AFL, which, um, yeah, which for us was a lot of fun, um, you know, a lot of um, incredibly energetic, inspiring footballers that um, certainly inspired us and, and were fun to work with during that period. So... You know, there's, there's so many layers to it. Our top-end girls would come in once or twice a week. Um, you know, we're trying to balance it with the boys, trying to balance it with the uh, the top-end boys, trying to balance it in with both the young young boys and girls. For those of us who you know, live in Sydney, you know how, or New South Wales, the, the challenge of ground, uh, of facilities, to be able to, you know, just simply train all the different sides. So, um, you know, leading into our... Uh, our games against the Giants, the girls were training two days a week. Um, they were, um, you know, then obviously played the Giants twice. We had a, a, an experience of travelling down to Geelong. We played the Geelong Falcons, of which the girls had a, a fantastic win down there. And then um, from that, we you know, the, we had six girls selected for the Allies, and that was the next phase. And, um, yeah, at the moment, they're back in club land. We'll bring them in, um, you know, probably – Try and get them in at least once a fortnight over the next little bit. Our, our focus does change to the to the boys. Um, they've got their first game against the Giants uh, this coming weekend, and then they get their nav experience. Um, I guess it's just the way that with the COVID hitting, um, a lot of um, you know we've had a huge reduction in staff numbers across the board. You know we're just trying to get these programs up and going again, and they're only going to um, grow now that we've got crowds back at senior um, senior men's games. That's where the majority of the money comes from at the moment. Um, once that goes in, we can start to put lots more time and effort into all the other programs and you know get more games for the girls, which is you know, something we're excited about. 
Excellent. And do you have more NAB league games coming up? No, we don't at the Swans. The, I know the I know the Tassie girls are, are going to play. Um, they're playing in the finals. I think the NT girls are playing, but you know, the Swans and the Giants only only essentially had the one NAB league game as I think the girls are into, into finals now. So that's that was something that will grow each year. Um, it's the same as what happened three years ago with the boys. We had one NAB league game. Um, you know, last year, if it had been a normal year, we we're going to get five, but we're back to three again this year. So just as as the world writes itself back up and, um, you know, both programs will have more, um, more content, um, more exposure, because obviously, you know, um, from a development aspect, we want to be able to uh, play against the best. Then equally all now the recruiters of all the different you know, AFLW sides, they want to be able to, um, you know, see the New South Wales girls coming up against the Victorian girls, see how they do compare and, you know, make sure that, you know, as the, you know, when they're looking to draft players, they're looking to attract new, new fresh blood into their teams, that they've um, got as much information as they can about them playing against the best, not just playing local football. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, last year's draft out of the 52 that were drafted, 50% were from the Victorian NAB League. So you do you see you do see that as in a crucial part for the likes of the Swans and the Giants academies to get games in that league a bit more regular than just a couple this year? Absolutely. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And there's still the, you know, the different rules around drafting in the AFLW, which I, again, I'm slowly getting my head around. It's not my main focus. I'm obviously just still trying to develop players. Um, um, but, you know, the the more games we can get, I think we talk about from a boy's perspective, um, you know, the, the very small percentage, I think it's less than 10% of the, the total player pool come from New South Wales. I have no doubt that that's going to be significantly more in the girl space. Um, the, you know, where you just see the number of girls playing it. We also have greater exposure to the private schools up here. They they want to be a bit, you know, more part of it, which is um, different to the boys' private schools up here. Um, I can and I can see, um, you know, that that percentage being you know 20, 25 percent. Um, in you know that five to ten years, which is which is pretty significant for what you consider a uh, a non-traditional footballing state. Yes, for sure. And so these um, top age girls, when they go back to clubland, are they going back to age groups, or do you advise them to play senior women's footy, or is there any sort of advice to continue I, their development? With every with every young play, you know, you play it play at the highest level that you're capable of playing. So, you know, lots of our, lots of the girls, and it's been really, really, sorry, uh, very pleasing that um, in the first two rounds of the, the Sydney Women's Premier League, they have a rising star. Um, you know, we obviously in the, in the AFL men's, the, the, the rising star, which Braden and Errol, who are two former last year Academy boys were that. Well, in round one, uh, Hannah Cerezo, who was in our academy, she was the uh, in the Sydney Premier League. She was a rising star. And round two was Georgie Fowler, who was also um, from our academy. So, you know, we take enormous amount of pride that not only at the highest level, um, you know, we're, we're having an impact, but you know, at the local level, you know, we're helping to develop players. We're helping to create, um, improve the standard of local football, certainly here in New South Wales. 
And, uh, you know, it's certainly fantastic for those two. And, and I think those two girls, as a, with a number of others, uh, have certainly um, bigger things in front of them. And, um, you know, as they continue to develop, I look forward to seeing them in the AFLW in years to come. And so with, um, with that development when they play in the Sydney Women's Comp, um, do you guys go around and say and start to look for the next selection for the next NAB team or do you communicate with the coaches or is there any continual development for coaches in Sydney for the females at that level or to gain a higher level to get drafted? Yeah, look, lots of, lots of questions there. Look, I, I do. I, I, it doesn't matter any, any um, player that, I guess I've coached in, in, in this, I go and continue to follow. Um, you know, certainly it's the, the, the juggling with your own kids. I'm going to make sure that I spend a little bit of time helping them um, enjoy their sport. But I do, you know, certainly my local area, I, I um, will see me at some of the local games from under 13s all the way up to the Premier League, uh, Premier Division, sorry. Um, I have only just started now working in you know, my little area. I live on the northern beaches. You know, we're in, in contact with the, you know, the Manly Warringah Wolves and we are putting in place you know, more coach education um, tools. I, it's my first, as my boys are, uh, I've got a, a, an eight, a six and a five-year-old. So last year was their first, uh, my first engagement with local football in Sydney. And as much as I, you, you know it, and you see it, um, sorry, you know about it, you hear about it, until you see it firsthand, how important um, us getting in there and, and helping coach education, it's crucial. It's crucial to the, you know, the fundamental development from, you know, the six to, you know, 10-year-olds, that they get the fundamentals right, the kick mark hand pass, so that as they get older, um, you, can, you, know, you can start to teach, um, you know, other parts of the game, but, you know, those, those, you know, our fundamentals are just crucial that they get right. And, um, you know, so I'll give you an example of our boys' academy, you know, 75% of the boys, their parents would have never played at Australian rules football. You know, they don't have that generational knowledge about how to, you know, to kick, to how to mark, how to hand pass properly. Um, you know, you do get all these variants from um, you know, other codes, rugby codes and all that, which is, you know, not... Um, doesn't flow through well with our game. Um, you know, you do know, and this is, you can enjoy the game, but, you know, from a development aspect, I want to get the fundamentals right, just in case that, you know, that that, that individual is that 0.5% that will go on to the highest level and, um, you know, make sure you get those, those foundations right. So I'm seeing it. We're trying to put things in place, but, you know, it, don't underestimate how hard, COVID has hit the footballing world. Everyone talks about the, the highest level, but through your grassroots, um, we've lost a lot of footballing knowledge at this stage um, out of the area. And we just need to, we need to find ways to re-engage them, get them back involved and, and ensure that, uh, and that's not just in New South Wales. I know that's conversations in Victoria and other places like that. We've got to get, keep that knowledge flowing through because our game is so unique and the skill set to play at the highest level is so unique. Yeah, and certainly, I guess, um, for youth girls, football in uh, Sydney is probably really absolutely flowing through the participation numbers in the last 10 years. So some of these girls that you're seeing now who are 16, 17 years old probably haven't had the same level of um, 
well, wouldn't have had the same level of development in coaching as other states. So do you see this as a crucial part of um, getting some really quality coaching involved in, in their club sides? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Club sides, academy sides, you know, we try and, you know, however it is, try and get, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The girls space, we're going to have access to better athletes, if that makes sense. You know, in terms where you, we're not competing the same number of sports as what the boys are here in New South Wales. I'm only talking New South Wales. So, yep. so we need to then, that's why I talk about the percentage of girls going in the, in the pool will be greater over the coming years because we're getting access to better athletes. But it absolutely is crucial. We've got to, um, you've got to improve the skill set. You know, I, I admire their courage. I admire how hard they hit. I admire a lot about what they do. Um, you can, you, the, I guess the skill difference in the girls is significant. The ones that really kick it well, really mark it well, stand out significantly. And there's a lot of others that might do bits and pieces. But that's what we do know is it takes time. And we've just got to, and it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a patient development coach. I've, I've, I'm happy to put the time in and just keep working, um, you know, to, um, to improve anyone who, who has the desire to do it. So um, with the likely chance of City Swans getting an AFLW team, perhaps 2023, is there a change in the focus around the players in your academy program and the age or the amount of development you're working on with that group? Um, not, not at the moment. Look, we're, we're now with our girls under 19 to under 12. We've got programs in place to keep developing. We know we're going to need a, uh, a core group. So you sort of talk now, these under 19s that started in the NAB League, we need to continue to develop them because what did we say? So that is two, three years away. They're going to be now uh, early 20s. Um, they're probably still not at their peak. Um, you know, that mid-20 range is when, you know, they're, you know, they've got the experience, they've, um, you know, they're comfortable at the level. So, yeah, look, there's, we are absolutely we're putting things in place. Our biggest challenge and the biggest thing we need now is just facilities. That's the biggest thing. We, you know, we were, um, again, non-COVID, we, we had a project in place to build a, a brand new facility for people who know Sydney, the Royal Hall of Industries, which is next door to the SCG. It's a, a beautiful, you know, big old heritage, just a building. It was going to be gutted. It was going to be, you know, I think upwards of four different change rooms. So that just, at the moment, we have one change rooms that the academy doesn't use. It's only used for the senior boys. Um, it was there 30 years ago when I, when I started here. It's a dungeon, it's dark, it's smelly. It's not you know, it's not inviting. It is just what, what it is. It's had a couple of facelifts, but, you know, as we, you know, as the club uh, continues to grow, as I said, we just need a, um, we need to have a full season with the men's. We need that money going back because that's where, you know, be, um, government's in, uh, spending as well. Get these facilities, get all the change rooms. There'll be an indoor training facility, um, weights rooms, all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, even just office space um, for, um, you know, academies for uh, women's coaches, for my, my coaching women's side, all that different type of stuff. We just need that to get up and going and um, it will, the breaks were put on very quickly. Um, it's good the seniors are winning because it means the crowds are coming and hopefully then as, as quickly as the foot was put on the break, we can very quickly 
uh, press on the accelerator and uh, get this going again. But you know, when you're dealing with governments, just that uh, councils, that sort of stuff, it just takes time. And for and for those not too familiar with these challenges in Sydney, uh, a classic example, I guess, is Bus Loop Oval, is where the Sydney Swans AFL team generally trained for many years out of that oval and often some representative sides and matches have been there. But the um, way that Sydney has developed, they've built a tram line and that's now become Tram Loop Oval and it's, yeah. what is the distance now? It's shrunk a bit, isn't it? It's about shrunk 140 metres. Yeah, it's shrunk a little bit. Um, there are no, other than a public toilet block, which is about uh, 150 metres away from the ground, there's no change room facilities. There's no, there's no nothing. It's a good, Absolutely, it's a good training ground, but you know, all those challenges. And I dare say um, it would be the most expensive training ground in Australia for what they have to pay because we're in the, you know, we're in the heart of Sydney. And that's just the reality, um, the reality of it. So yeah, we need we need councils all over the place building grounds. Um, as I said, yeah, I'm sort of hoping that the big private girls' schools who have taken to the game. Um, I hope that they um, continue to put AFL ground facilities in place so that we can, uh, you know, we can build in with them and, and uh, you know, just continue to develop our game up here in New South Wales. Absolutely. I think for years I've actually said, why don't, don't they go down and um, develop bigger change rooms and um, even a, a clubhouse above the toilet block that's at Bat and Ball Oval? Because it's sort of a yep. space that I think is underutilised, but um, and that's just down the road. There's different. Um, there's lots of all that area. It is lots of green space. Um, I don't know. Well, I grew up in Adelaide. You know, the footy park <laughs> used to have. Um, you know, all the car parking on match day used to be football grounds that we trained on. I do not understand why councils don't want to just put proper drainage in grounds. You can still park cars on them for match days. Then all of a sudden you could have another, you know, three or four AFL grounds. Being down in Melbourne, where we were staying, I was able to walk up and around Princess Park. And you know, you, and even when I go back to LA, I'm always jealous of just the. Um, it's not the amount of green space because we've got the green space in Sydney. It's just how it's utilised. It's the the number of football overs that you see. Um, you know, the Centennial Park, which is an incredible, beautiful park just down the road from um, the SCG. There's not one AFL ground in there. There's probably you know, three or four rugby fields, but um, you know, there's enough green space where you could very easily develop a ground that could still be used by the general public to run around, do all that sort of stuff. But when you just wanted to have a training session with any, any probably you know, junior groups, you just had the access to it, which is just something we don't. Yeah, it's a huge challenge in Sydney. So Sydney has, at the moment, only one AFLW uh, side. Do you have any discussions with Alan McConnell, the head coach at Giants, or around recruitment or what sort of players he's looking at or who's coming through the ranks? Uh, yeah, he was, down, he was down there with the Allies, absolutely. Look, the, you know, I'm a, we, we don't have a side. I want to see these players continue to develop. Um, if we do our thing properly and develop these girls, then you know, two or three years when we're ready to start a side, then you know, they, um, if you've done a good job, they might want to come back and and play in the red and white. But you know, for their own personal develop, absolutely, I'll chat to them. Um, you know, the Giants recruiting staff are actually all 
some of them are former Swans Academy coaches and that as well. So, you know, it's, uh, as I said, there's, it's a reasonably small knit community up here. So we are um, you know, um, always constant. I, I talk to the Giants, boys, coaches, all that type of stuff with, with different stuff at the academy. So, yeah, absolutely. We're all, we're all talking. And uh, can you share any insights to the type of players that uh, Giants might be looking to draft this season? <laughs> uh, well, I think it was anyone, good athletic players that kicked off the goals. I look, I, I didn't go into that, those details. I guess when my discussions are, um, you know, them just discussing the players that we have in the academy, uh, what can I tell them about them? What are their characters like? You know, what are their strengths? What are their, what are the weaknesses? Are they actually you know, are we actually seeing the best in this carnival or has they got a bit more to, to give? So they're the type of conversations I I have um, around that. Uh, yeah, with, with different recruiting staff, no different to what I have with, um, you know, anyone trying to, um, in a boys uh, space as well. That's the type of questions they ask. But character, what are their strengths? Um, where do you see them playing? Yeah, sure. And so it sounds like the Giants Academy and Swans Academy really are looking after the development of our teenagers. What what areas do you think that the Sydney competition could develop for the senior women's sort of space, especially that premier competition? Uh, look, that's, look, uh, um, yeah, like everything, it's, it's just the constant development. Um, the, I've only seen a little bit of it. I remember I was, um, I mean, I streamed their, their grand final last year because I sort of knew that a couple of the academy girls were playing well in that grand final. Um, you know, that it's same, it's the same message. They need facilities, they need coaches, they need, um, you know, just more time. That's, that's the reality of it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there is talk of a, um, I know that, now that AFLW is finished and some of them go back and play in the VFL comp in Melbourne, whether they're going to look at some point to expand that to, um, you know, the VFL comp, which is currently now the Eastern Seaboard League with the boys reserves comp, or whether we're just extending the, the AFLW season. I guess they're all, all things that just help, um, help that improvement. But what will happen, and it's the same as what's happening now, in the in the Premier League men's division, that the more work we do in these academies, the better quality the, the players end up becoming through that. Like I'll give you an so what what normally happens with our boys is we always play a, a practice game against a Premier men's division leading into um, playing the Giants the start of our under nineteen season. We normally always outrun them in the second half because you know we're just these boys are training in a semi-professional environment. Certainly us as coaches are professional. The, um, the difference now is I can't beat them because they're all full of former academy kids. You know, we've had that influence. As I said, I think it's 0.5% of, of the boys that have gone through the academy actually make it to the, to the AFL. So that, there's 95.5% are going back to the Sydney Football League, making the competition stronger. And that's what's going to happen in the girls' space as well. We're going to do, you know, continue to develop these girls. At the highest level, you're only ever going to take 1% or 2%. But 
the rest go back to your, your local comps and just make that competition stronger. It's just the, it's just, it's just time. Yes, certainly. And um, what we've seen across the other states also is they've shifted to the summer as well. So they run almost in alignment with the AFLW. Do you think it's going to be something we could do in Sydney or um, is it better for Sydney to stick to winter? I don't know. I, I, I think it comes back to the fact that our, our football grounds have been used by cricket. I think that's the, that's the challenge. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a simple one is that I don't know that answer. Yeah. You know, we need, there's a lot of our grounds which are so multi-purpose. We actually, sound silly, we need to help soccer improve the soccer pitches so they get off the AFL pitches so that we got more ground space. And so it's, it's we can't, we can't just expect, well, there just isn't the land to just, right, let's just go and plunk an AFL ground there because it's not big enough. There's, you know, there's lots of soccer fields, lots of rugby fields, which unfortunately at times become um, 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 almost dog parks where they just allow people and the dogs dig them up and it's bad, the kids don't want to play them and all those type of stuff where we just need to, right, let's make that a better soccer pitch. So you get off the AFL field, we don't have to share because the bigger it gets looked after and we just get access to those grounds more often. Certainly. And then, yeah, more time on the field, more development and um, better, better athletes and um, certainly more kids that will end up drafted in the future. So uh, how soon do you think Swans should come in with an AFW team? Uh, yeah, next two or three years. I, I would have said earlier, uh, what you don't want to do is rush it and do it wrong. And we just lost $6 million last year. So can't do it now. That's just the reality of it. Um, we need, uh, as I said, it sounds boring. We need the funds to come back in. We need crowds back. And then once we get that right, we get our facility, we'll be, um, we'll be like what we've done with our boys' academy. We'll be leading the way and um, we'll be very, very competitive as soon as we're up and going. Awesome. So that's it. So a couple more years and um, hopefully we can get the Sydney Swans AFW team. Joe Crouch, thank you most importantly for your time today and um, and thank you for your contribu contribution to the development of female athletes in uh, New South Wales for sure. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has been an absolute delight to have Catherine Smitty-Smith in the uh, studio with me. I've been alone for the whole season. It's the first time I've had someone sit here with me, so it's been great having you. Thank you very much. And I need to say, listeners, that um, we all know her as Smitty, so every time there's been a pause and they've gone, um, Catherine, uh, it's because we're trying to keep it semi-profesh. <laughs> <laughs> we had to think hard to Plus, think of her Catherine, first name. <laughs> Probably why I didn't Plus, in a way, <laughs> there's been two Catherines we've referenced tonight in Catherine Hull, Huggies, because yep. of your friendly nature, and Catherine Smith, Smitty, because every probably everyone who's got a surname Smith is called Smitty, I'm guessing. Yep. <laughs>
probably. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an Australian thing. Explanation. Well, thank you very much for I've joining us. I've learned some good Australian stuff. <laughs> She's still learning. Thank you very much for joining me in the studio and joining us on the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show. Smitty, and come back again, please. This has been the final Coat Hanger Football Radio Show for AFLW Season 5. It's been our pleasure to join you every Monday at 7pm on 2SER 107.3. Special thanks to Anthony Dockerell, our program manager, for support. And he's been behind us all the way um, along with the team here at 2SER. And to our listeners across the country and indeed across the globe who've engaged with us on socials and occasionally engaged in a little bit of argy-bargy with Nat Morgan. I want to thank my team, Emma Phillips, Nat Morgan, Lisa Coach Kiwi, Roper and um, Tracy Kick who is um, on the bench tonight. We'll be back for Season 6. And in the meantime, keep following us on the socials because we will still post there. We are at Coat Hanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And as always, for the best harbour views in women's footy, tune, tune in, in to, to the, the Coat, Coat Hanger. Did you want to say goodbye, Kiwi? Do you want to sign off each? Yeah, no, sign off. I just want to thank you, Fee, for twiddling our knobs all season. (laughs) You have to keep that in. I have to keep it in. I I wanted to know who beat Nat in the tipping comp in the end after all the controversial. Old news. Go away. Old news. It was MG. Was it? It was MG. No way. It was. It was Mary Ann. She said she was coming for her and she came for her. She beat her. She beat her like egg whites. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, Catherine, thanks heaps for being in the studio tonight and giving us so much of your time. Really appreciate it. It's good to see you. And uh, your insights. Thank you. Yeah, good on you. Em, did you have a sign off you wanted to do? Oh, I can't top Nats. I'm just sorry that Trace Licker wasn't here tonight I to know, do her sign-off. <laughs> no, honestly, it's been great. It's been a really fantastic season. I love doing this with you guys. So thank Me you, too. all of you. And I'm going to seriously miss doing this every Monday.